Welcome to Mechanations, a critical analysis and mecha anime and movie rewatch podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ignis Maddox, and I read my copy of Hamnet or Hamrit in the morning. I'm Stephen Hero. What about all the Eleven Cs? I'm PMC Trilogy, and I left my cell phone ringer on. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> So I was on vacation last week, and as uh, you know, I think Stephen Hero was as well. Yeah, neither of you got permission from me for this. No, sorry. Uh, I was but, deep in the Vermont wilderness. Yeah, but so anyway, I came back, but I immediately had to go on vacation again uh, for two different reasons. There were two arcs to my journey to Jaburo Yes, in this past week. One was that I had submitted it to an online marathon called Licenseathon. And initially, my my run did not get in. So I was like, whatever, not a big oh, yeah. deal. Okay, yeah. And then last, a week ago, exactly a week ago from the date of recording, I got a DM, the guy was, who said we had to kick someone out. He slid into your DMs? Of, yes, he slid into my DM, said we had to kick someone out of the marathon a week before the marathon takes place, which oh, is, boy. I don't know how that happened. He got ejected from Licenseathon, or they did rather. And I don't know who it was. Okay. I don't know who it was. Interesting, you know. And so, anyway, it's like, sure. You know what? Uh, he gave me like a time of like Friday five thirty. You know, be right after work for me. Easy to do. It's a half hour long run. No big deal. I can do it. And I said, sure. The next day, this is the B plot. Well, actually, I guess this is the A plot. The marathon's the B plot. The A plot is that a Twitch user by the username of iconic shaman beats my record time my i had a record time of 3244 that had been standing for a few months and then he came along did some really good rerouting you know used some things i wasn't using in terms of gameplay mechanics uh he got a 3148 yes i remember this person showing up in in your chat yeah no nice guy yes and uh so i said okay i see you i already have to get ready for this marathon so I'm going to come back at you, and I get, two days later, a 3125. Hey. The next day, the next morning, right after my, my marathon appearance, he says, by the way, here's my 3119. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. All, okay. Right. All right. All right. So I didn't like that, and I had a quiet Friday. So I said, hey, buddy, that was a great run you had. But have you considered a thirty fourteen over a minute improvement? Bam, 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 bam. This is some King of Kong shit right here. And then, uh, and then apparently, as soon as I put that online, like Friday, like ten o'clock, he went online and started grinding immediately, and got a twenty nine forty eight. Wow! All right! All right! All right! All right! And so I ended up having a very productive Saturday. I went to the city. Got some brunch. I rented a rug doctor for the first time in my life, which is basically a mecca. Yeah. And what is sure. it? <laughs> it's, like, it's a it's carpet a, cleaning. Yeah, resort. it's a wet vacuum. Is yes, what it is. It is, that's right. It's a wet vacuum. Uh, and you had a very productive day. Then decided to, to wind down with some in IL practice, some individual level practice. And then I capped it with a few practice runs and got a 2906. All right. Which is All right. 24 seconds off my sum of best. So I lost 17 seconds in the first mission, and then for the rest of the run against the best I had ever done any segment, only lost like eight more seconds. <laughs> all right, all right, there we so, go. So 
Um, so yeah, that's where we stand right now as of the time of recording. Uh, I think uh, Shaman still plans to probably try and do more. I will say that at this time, as, uh, his sum of best as of his last PB was higher than my current PB. <laughs> so he's got some sex that he's going to need to you know do better right. over which which is not surprising obviously both of us have been constantly improving right. all of our best sex mm-hmm. throughout this week long process right uh but exciting to see this is honestly probably the most competitive any gundam speed game has ever been <laughs> probably that sounds right yeah. yeah i mean there is some activity in i think um some of the ps2 fighters like uh oh, like, battle like, assault or whatever yeah, yeah like zeta gundam versus gundam or <laughs> uh federation versus zeon did these come out in the west Yes. Yeah, they did. This was in the PS2 era when, you know, during the anime boom. Because most of the PS1 Gundam games, except the two Battle Salt games, don't get localized. No, 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 no. And then once you get the PS2, it's anime gold rush. Because, like, there's, like, a Seed or or X-Seed Destiny or whatever the fuck. Yeah, like like 3D battle game. Yeah, that's right. Uh, So that's where I am. I did briefly, briefly play a little bit of Metal Wolf Chaos XD on vacation. Uh, I I will probably follow up on doing that more, but I had to launch on a revenge tour. I also improved my Shogo PB, one of my uh, uh, accomplices, uh, Skiller, who's an excellent tech finder and good runner. Uh, improved the time in Shogo. That's the run I'll be doing at, Shog- at GDQX at the end of September. So I'll be working on that more anyway. What time's your run again? My PB in Shogo? Yeah. No, uh, no. What time is the GDP? Oh, it's it's in the middle of the goddamn night. It's it's going to be. How late do you have to stay up? You probably might need to wake up for you because don't you put on a little makeup? It's going to be <laughs> East Coast time. It's going to be four forty. All right, yeah. All right. So you're probably waking up, not staying up. Last time I did that was from some Sony press conference in Japan. That was yeah. Big Ben Ten. Oh, there you yeah. go, Big Ben Ten. <laughs> My favorite world in Kingdom Hearts yeah, 3. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Just rolls off the lips. Right. It's very good. Uh, so I, th- but I think that's all for my my hilarious mech news. Uh, hopefully I'll have more on those fronts soon. So real quick, not to cut anybody else off if yeah. they're going to start in, I, I just want to follow that up because I feel like this is related. So so yesterday uh, I was at a, uh, a uh, marriage ceremony, mm-hmm. and uh, while we were waiting for the imam to show up, uh, the uh, I was uh, having a conversation with my grandmother uh, and I was I- explaining uh, 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 your channel, actually, okay. because yeah. uh, you, uh, you have uh, employed someone I know to uh, uh, do some of the yeah. art assets right. for, right. uh, for your channel. Um, it's the same person who's created the art assets for uh, right. Mechanations. Our own Mechanations logo. Um, uh, and uh, in the process, I had to explain <laughs> what speedrunning is yes. to my grandmother. Excellent. Um, How did that go? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Uh, as PMC will know, uh, uh, I have, I have, you know, I, I enjoy speed running, but I also have like philosophical thoughts about speed running. We have had good chats about the ideas of speed running. Right. Um, and so when I explained speed running to my grandmother, uh, she turned to me and she goes, that sounds like cheating. That doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like you're at, at PMC. I lost my mind. It was incredible. I... Was like, you know, <laughs> well, so the thing that, and I was trying to explain to her, and this is, the, you know, obviously she, because this is something that totally unlike any other medium that, yeah. that she's, she's familiar with. Like I explained, like, listen, you know, it's not actually like turning to the end of the book and declaring yourself having read it. Like there's, there's a lot of 
skill involved. There's a lot of 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 like sort of like out of the box thinking you yeah. have to do. It's not, you know, I I laugh because it's it's <laughs> it's adjacent to some of the thoughts I have about speedrunning, but in a way that's like I like I, I promise you in my description I was I was as platonic mm-hmm. yeah, as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I prefer to be like that sounds like cheating. I mean, that's a common reaction too, right? Well, that, that was what I was trying to explain yeah. also is that there's conversations about this like this is not like you know i would say there's a a healthy community that's brought up about a specific idea that at this point is pretty Mm -hmm. like stratified i would say like there's a pretty clear idea when i see speed running what that means uh but there's there's discussions about it it just it was just considering oh yeah yeah my position extremely funny oh no it's very good um but you know we were i was just explaining you know that um i I, that you you perform in front of an audience and and that you've traveled to do these streams and stuff like that so it is not like you know that's the part that Mm. that she was able to understand yeah right that you're you're performing a scale in front of an audience yes um other than that though not not too much to report insofar as the the mech front um, uh, as far as games go, the only thing I would say is that uh, I'm probably going to sleep on Astral Chain for a little while. I'm going to wait and see. I thought that I decide the same thing. If I finish Fire Emblem by the end of August, I might pull the trigger on Blair Witch if it's getting good reviews. I'm interested in that. Um, okay, before so, Link's Awakening, PMC, you have thoughts about Fire Emblem, and so I have. I, I feel comfortable saying this, but I'm going to start like this. Does Ooh. anyone here care about not spoilers, but thoughts because i am in the middle of fire emblem Let's the three stop. houses blue lions i mean i'm totally okay because as, as far as i'm concerned the the thing that makes fire emblem work is the personal relationship you develop with your characters over the course of the playing playing the game and that is something that is so unique that i mean i know we joke often about spoilers not mattering on yes, the show yes yes but like really truly with the fire emblem series i i think there's a super strong case for that i and nintendo's been pretty upfront like i'm be warned of spoilers there's a time skip and if you want to see where someone else is either pre or post time skip but that was pretty public knowledge yeah, yeah, yeah. um so and 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 pmc you are typically extremely correct because these fire Emblem games have a more rigid structure than mm-hmm. other fire franchises typically have mm-hmm. where there is a uh an a plot that is political yeah it's almost certainly b- being pulled by the real plot which is a magic person who is really a dragon yes typically correct right <laughs> that is I, that would be my guess. That's my assumption. Um, Three houses, though, I will say, is better written than yes. I, I would. I would hearken its writing back to Fire Emblem Seven, where I really feel like they did a good job of crafting a a fantasy setting with verisimilitude. I would agree. I would actually. I couldn't even fathom any game in the series, and I've only played the U.S. release, being having a better story. And I'm usually pretty critical on Fire Emblem stories. Conquest, no, Fates. Fates did not have great... One of the worst it's, video game plots in the history of video games. It's not good. It's not great. It's a fun game, but it's not great. Oh, yeah, it's a fun um, game. Uh, but, so, um, three lines. I haven't gotten to the time skip yet. I'm probably close. Um, I just think I am concerns. I think Fire Emblem Three Houses might be Xenogears. Oh shit! I'm I'm not joking. I think it might be Zeno. Oh, you blue no. lions, right? Yeah, I'm blue lions. Yeah. Um. No, I don't think there's going to be fire emblem mechs. Don't don't get me wrong here. God, that would be great. I know that I, it's kind of fucked up. They haven't gotten there yet. But um, I've my when, so audience. When I say that, the what I'm actually referring to is is a series of narrative ideas that I associate specifically with Zeno Gears. The main one being a a cultivated society. 
a, a, a fictional setting that is within a time frame, but is actually being cultivated by science fiction figures, which is, I will admit, a classic JRPG yeah. oh, thing, yeah. but I think Xenogears is the one that, that really nails that. Really that, that, marinates it. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's correct. Um, I don't know yet. But I have my suspicions, and I will report back when I learn more. Okay. I am I am in the midst of a. Um, there's this game is very concerned with um, noble houses as dictated by these things called crests, and and I have my suspicions about what those crests mm-hmm. actually are now. Toothpaste. Um, yes, exactly. It's just very good toothpaste. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do think Mike. I, I think you're the character you play as might be the Dragon Reborn, oh. um, and that typically even Wheel of Time is is spoilers for people who haven't read all f- fourteen thousand books in Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series. I'm pulling my braids in frustration. I've never oh. read a real time oh, book. God. I just know that reference. God. Take a drink. Um, uh, uh, those Wheel of Time books are implied later in the series to be a a. Um, a fantasy setting that is our current reality far, far enough into the future that they've swung around and technology has become magic and, you know, it's that thing. That's, uh, yeah, it's that's an old school common. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think Le Guin. Le Guin, like, marinates yeah. in that stuff. Wasn't uh, there another one? Was that, like, was, like, sort of Shannara doing that, too? Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. oh, that, that's, that's the that's only interesting part of that book was when they stumbled into some wasteland that had, like, rebar sticking out of everything. <laughs> or, like, or a I was like, oh, thing. wow, you had an interesting idea book, but, well, fuck, we're going to bury that right away. <laughs> What's a phone book? Yeah. I dug those, and, I mean, I dug Dragonlance. And it, Yo, Dragonlance is it's primo fantasy. I know, Raistalin, right there. Yeah. But um, I there was a time in my life where I judged fantasy books. I started like early middle school based on how long they were, and that's what originally attracted me to the Sword of Shinar. I think I read the Elfstones and two others. Mm. Then I stopped off. But yeah, I will. Um, another thing I'll say is that uh, Blue Lions really uh, uh, exude an aura of being like vanilla, and I am. Very, very into how interesting and textured you. If you listen to Eight Points, you've been hearing Rob yeah. Zachney talk about it, and he is—he's on the money in that there's this layer of darkness underneath all these beautiful nobles that, like, I have been like discovering over time in a way that's really satisfying. Um, but yeah, no, I'll report back if there are. If if dost thou desire the power shows up in this game. <laughs> Speaking of which, though, there was some exciting news oh, uh, in yeah. in that realm, right? Like, yeah, Cold So we, we are bearing down on the launch of Trails of Cold Steel three, oh, yeah. which is in fact a bona fide mech game, right? Hell yeah! Uh, and so I don't know how I'm fitting that into my schedule. I What's really the don't. Date? It's sometime in September. I can't play Cold Steel in September. I gotta prepare for GDQX. Yeah, it's pretty... This is fucked up. I've been yelling about this game for months, and it shows up two weeks before, like, the biggest show. At least it's not, like, early November or something. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, but... uh, uh, fuck. Well, editing dun, that dun, one dun, out. Yeah. Stephen Hero, was there anything? Uh, let's see. I'm deep in Fire Emblem. <laughs> Keep the fuck, but nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. Uh, Post time skip Golden Deer. Golden Deer is considered like the fun house. It's a little too much through the perspective of the church. I mean, they, uh, certain characters challenge the hegemony of the church, but right now things have certainly picked up it's certainly a little more classically political in that respect but i actually am pretty invested because you know i've i've have relationships with my this sounds a little off but like relationships with the students at this point can i ask you this is probably should be at, off air i'm curious about something though uh being a teacher and teaching students it, in fire emblem it, it, oh, no I, I it's a plot question actually oh. is the flame emperor in your game 
Uh, yes. Okay, there's a graph figure in Fire Emblem Three Houses called the Flame Emperor, um, and there are implications about this character in my plot that probably can't be true of all three plots, and I was just curious about... Is the Flame Emperor's identity a thing in Golden Deer? Yes. Okay, so then never By mind. By the end of uh, part one, you'll know. Assuming it's the same, I would That's, imagine it has to be. I, well, I don't know. I... No, that, I think it is. I, I think it is. I think it would have to be also, but I'm very curious. And this graph figure is is not, you know, it, am I off by comparing this this character to graph? Like no, I, I think uh, I do like your Xenogears comparison. I don't know where the plot's going in that regard yet. Yeah, I'm. I'm very. I I just run into a mission that is that is ringing those bells. Like I'm 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 uh, Ozma, and I'm seeing the word Babel written across all these screens. I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, I would say overall, it's probably one of my favorite fire. This is coming from a, I'm not like a fire Emblem purist, but I do like fire Emblem classic just well, without grinding. Can you give me the quick list of fire Emblem games you've played? Uh, seven, the 3ds games and like dabbling with ROMs ages ago, with okay. the, uh, super Famicom games, which I would like to return to, but I don't know if I ever get the time. But anyway, I do like the persona elements, the slow life feeling. There are times when I really don't want, I always go through the monastery at least once each month talking to everyone, doing some nice fishing. These can these can also be gratifying, but also, like, with your experience with Persona 4, they tend to weigh on you, and sometimes they feel a little ch- too chorish because I just want to get to the battles. But that's just my opinion, of course. Ignis has given me a look. I No, don't get me wrong. I do no, like I, that. I'm book. a monster, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm very into it still, but yeah. maybe I, I just haven't. Uh, yeah, that's know. fair. That's, it's, it's just that's subjective as hell, right? Yeah, like, for that, sure. That, that sort of... Because as your experience with Persona 4 now, a game people fucking love... Like, you're like, I, you know, not to say it's not engaging you, right. but, like, it's definitely not hitting those notes that it yeah, hits for it, it's, I, I feel deeply... It, it feels like, you know, it's the difference between tedium and an enjoyable process, yeah. right? For me, it's becoming more and more tedium mm-hmm. when I really just want to sort of finish out the enjoyable murder mystery plot. That's, you know, my feeling yeah. of Persona 4, so... Uh, mm. To follow up on what uh, Stephen Hero was saying about Golden Deer, there was a, a tweet by uh, underscore Jan Jerome. Is this the one you sent me? Yes. Uh, on the money. That con- that playing the Golden Deer feels constantly like uh, the, the uh, cast of Recess. <laughs> Uh, uh, from the the cartoon Excellent show Recess. Show. Uh, here, I will show this oh, to P- PMC here, which I haven't sent to him. Uh, but yes, I, I, <laughs> I felt like that is a pretty good, pretty good shout out for that observation. Yeah, yeah. I would say the date was August 10 in the year 2010 of the Imperial Calendar. The Holy Britannian Empire had just declared war upon Japan. Uh, but yeah, we're we're starting something new today. Yeah, we're starting something new. Yes. Yeah, we've got some mechs, we've got some history, we've got some Johnny Young Bosch, we've got right. some Clamp, we've got some some sweet sweet boy love. Uh, so I feel like we should jump right in, right? Yeah, Stephen Hero, you've got some uh, Pro- professor, got a lesson yeah, for us, Professor Stephen Hero. Yeah, let me uh, let me just choose to lecture you just like in Fire Emblem. Get yeah, let's load up. up. Yeah, let's load up this uh, mecha we have that runs our powerpoints, and then I'll send you guys on some uh, Pegasuses or Pegasus. Later, it's it's something you could send your students to do, right? Like flying uh, lessons. Yes, yes, uh, of course. Yeah, or some for some reason, um, weeding gives you heavy armor skill. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Well, I get maybe the idea is that other enemy oh, units like will your... be like weeds before you. Oh, maybe that's you more know? poetic than I thought. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was like your core or some shit. Like like pulling weeds. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but in any case, 
All right, so the first name you need to keep in mind, Goro Taniguchi. I'll repeat that name. This is a name I was unfamiliar with until a few days ago. Goro Taniguchi, he is one of our primary creative forces behind Code Geass. And just to situate people on time, we're talking about the early aughts. That's an expression I know a lot of people don't use, but I'm talking about like 2000 to 2010, roughly around 2005-ish. So Goro Taniguchi contends that he first got the idea for Code Geass during a meeting between some Bandai visual and Sunrise producers. This is one of the most generic phrases I've ever heard, but allegedly at the meeting, someone, I don't know, put their coffee down and said, I want to create a series that makes everyone happy. <laughs> I noticed that. Creators and viewers like, which is pretty ironic, considering if you know a thing about the Japanese animation industry, I don't know how you make certain animators happy when they're working basically like slave labor. No, it's it's miserable to yes. read about. Well, you got sure. to do what the boss usually does, right? Which is just ignore the feelings of the worker. Right. It, it's, it's just part of the process, yeah. right? So it's yeah. definitely not misery that you're inflicting on others needlessly. Yeah, and you hear these. I was actually listening to a podcast the other day. Someone's giving me some anecdotal references. You know, you're very young. You like anime. You get into the industry in your early 20s, but you finish your first show. You're so burnt out from it. You go back into the countryside and like maybe be a lawyer like your parents wanted yep. you to. But anyway, with that generic and oh-so-inspiring creative statement, Taniguchi got to thinking. So I want to step back, do a little world-building, if you will, just to reiterate some of these terms and brands. All right, Sunrise is one of J- Japan's top animation studios. Most people associate Sunrise with Gundam. That's right. But they're also, they've also shepherded such creative, critical darlings like Cowboy Bebop, Planets, a show I want to go back to, and uh, Witch Hunter Robin, just to rattle off some of my favorites. Hell yeah. Uh, Bandai is the parent company, so they had to hold the purse strings. You could, if you need another example, maybe like... Nintendo and HAL Laboratory, for example, that, that second-party, first-party relationship. And Sunrise is one of its many subsidiaries. Uh, Sunrise began in the 70s. Bandai's been around since, like, the 50s. They're a big toy company, huge, huge toy company. That's where they make most of their money from. That's why Gundam is profitable, even up until 2019. So Goro Taniguchi is one of Sunrise's more notable directors. Uh, he was born in 1966 and got a job in the animation industry in the early 90s with Sunrise. He's still with Sunrise. Uh, he began as a storyboard artist and cut his teeth on several Gundam series. Uh, I'll list the three. It should be no surprise. These are the more, slightly more ostentatious Gundam shows, uh, very stylistic. Uh, G Gundam, 94. Yeah. Gundam Wing, no yeah. surprise there. And uh, Gundam X, the first, I guess the first show that was canceled. I know Mobile Suit Gundam was kind of canceled too, but Gundam X didn't get a a full bill. They just added Gundam X parts to the Gunpla game that I am still playing, unfortunately. Gundam X was always the elusive show when I was really into anime. It was never brought over. Those designs are pretty wild. I know. It was canceled. Post-apocalyptic Gundam. Probably inspired by uh, Fist of the North Star, Mm. I'm sure. I know nothing about it. It went like 35 episodes, and that's all. Okay. Unfortunately, right. Gundam X is already dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a, con- a company man through and through, Goro eventually worked his way up the creative ladder. Um, so I, I suppose his higher-ups were happy with his work because he became a director in the late 90s. Uh, he successfully pitched his first show, hopefully I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Infinite Rivius or Rivius. It's a, uh, I've never heard of it up until now, a sci-fi hip-hop show cool. which aired from October 99 to March 2000. It was well-received, and he followed up with... <laughs> you pro- you might have heard this name before. It's Screed, I think it's pronounced. Escryad. Yeah, Escryad, 2001. Uh, Planets and uh, Gun Cross Sword. Do any of you guys have any experience with Taniguchi's pre-Code Geass shows? I have a no. few little... Well, 
Ignis, jump in. Other yeah. than, you mean other than G Gundam, Gundam Wing, and Gundam X? Yeah, the directorial. Uh, Escryad I've seen. Yeah. Escryad is an interesting action show where characters have uh, superpowers that are sort of like, they, they start with like a, a focus on a single body part, and as you gain more power with those, unless I'm wrong, unless this is a different I watched, series. No, I watched the first few episodes. Like, I, think I, <laughs> I think I got it on some sort of, remember a new type? I didn't know Dune Type have DVDs with episodes. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, they did. And and it was also a situation, this was a time where media would come with that sort of cross-promotional, like, if you buy this DVD, you get a separate CD with one episode of oh, Motherfucker yeah, yeah. on it, you know, something like that. <laughs> Um, uh, and- that was Tanaguchi's post-Code <laughs> yeah, show. That was, that was the Miles Davis anime. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, uh, uh, other than that, though, I haven't seen Planets or Gun Cross Sword. Planets is... Which I, I, I see the, the format of that, and that's not how I want to say that, but it's okay. Planets is phenomenal. It's like legitimately... It's an anime that you could recommend to someone else without the typical garbage attached uh, to it. Where you say, the, with the asterisk. Yeah. Uh, like, hold on to that. Ignore- when did you get to episode such and such? Yeah. Do you know what fan service is? Dot, dot, yeah. dot. But I'll give a quick pitch for it. I would love to do it for this show. It's science fiction, but it's not mech. It's essentially people in, like, adults in space collecting space debris, essentially. It's, mm. it's like, it's, I want, I need to go back to it, but it's, it's easily top ten. It's very Steven Hero-y just from that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, people usually, like, l- uh, lump it quality-wise with, like, Bebop and other shows like that if they've seen it. But anyway, I would love to do it, but. I keep wanting to call it What Planet Is This? That's not the name. That's, that's a different <laughs> what thing. What Planet Is Ooh, This? that's a banger. Bum, 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 bum. So. It's tough to pigeonhole distinct thematic or stylistic through lines in Taniguchi's works, especially for me because I haven't seen all his stuff. But I did a little research. I'll say this. He likes his science fiction. I mean, Sunrise likes science fiction in general. But he tends to cater to an older audience. Uh, a lot of his shows aired in the later time slot, kind of against his, I guess, wishes. But that's what he could get at the time. And some of his shows are pretty violent, reflecting the time slot. I'm not sure if it's a case of the time slot dictates the level of gore or it's just – what he likes to do i don't know i wouldn't say it's gratuitous it's been a while since i've seen escriad we'll talk about code geass as well but yeah i i have thoughts about code geass specifically but we'll, but we'll we'll get there they feature their fair share of blood uh, i have a hunch that tanaguchi was hungry for a successful show one that would reach a much wider audience at this time uh, gun cross sword aired late at night and didn't gain traction with a whole lot of folks so he hoped that his next project would do just that uh, Tanaguchi began brainstorming ideas with Okuchi Achiro, a screenwriter on Planets, and Yoshitaka Kawaguchi, a producer at Sunrise. Their original idea featured a protagonist who led a secret organization, and from there they just went in some directions. Sure. So they massaged that kernel of an idea into something more. Uh, they knew they wanted to explore the fraught relationship between two friends who harbored contrasting political views, yet worked for the same military unit. So you could see where the seed, what the seed became. So the sea destiny. <laughs> well, there's some destiny. All there's right. some. Oof. Yeah, no, oof. We've got some of that in there for sure. For sure. I'm walking that if we ever do sea yeah. destiny. I'll tell you that right <laughs> now. Sea destiny. Before you we get do in this, that, you replace me for three months. We, we're we're going to talk about a couple of shows we should definitely do way before destiny uh, if we yeah. ever get there. Yeah. I do destiny. I mean, I do seed. See, Destiny, I'm taking a vacation for three like, and a half months. Like, considering how long it's getting us to get through Wing, which I, I'm sure is less painful than Destiny. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> anyway. So, you know, the origin of Luch and Suzaku. Uh, let's go back to Achiro real quick. I'm going to get this name right. 
Achiro. I think it's how it's pronounced. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Send, a, send an email and try Please not correct us. Existent email address. But he's an interesting guy. He's a few years younger than Taniguchi and started working with Sunrise in the late 90s as a writer. He's bounced around and freelanced a bunch. His mecha credentials are legit. He began on Turn A Gundam in 99 and from there worked on such notable series as Razafon, Eureka 7, and I didn't know this existed until yesterday, and I watched it. It is all right. Uh, OHMS Team Battle in Three Dimensions, which is a short that Sunrise commissioned for the Blu-ray release in 2013. Uh, he also recently he did a little work on Space Dandy, a show which I need to get back to, and uh, Devilman Crybaby as well, which he contri- he only wrote one episode of Space Dandy, but he heavily contributed to Devilman Devilman Crybaby, which I haven't seen. Ignis, have you? I have. Yes. People it's like it, right? Very good. It's rough. Um, mm-hmm. It's harsh, but it is good. Um, but most Net- Netflix commissioned, right? Yeah, um, it's a it's a re it's a remake of a seventies seinen Devilman, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, and it is the first. It's an adaptation of the first manga in the Devilman series. I'm almost positive. I'm not an expert in this stuff, but this it is where right. this is where Devilman was huge and in inspiring uh, a lot of what would eventually become shonen. Like you could see a lot of the. It's a Young boy protagonist who has a super powered alter ego, but it's it's seinen, it's harsh, it's violent, it's you know it's seventies, so it's depressing. You know, it's it's about a young boy whose boyfriend turns out to be Satan and brings up the apocalypse, and he fails that old chestnut. Yeah, the end. (laughs) Uh, You know, the other thing I would say, Eureka Seven is um, really really unique. Uh, I I hope we will eventually get to talk about Eureka Seven. It's Mm -hmm. it's an interesting watch. I think Stephen Hero, you would be really into Eureka Seven. Clearly, I pronounced wrong. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's don't don't worry about it. Yeah, no, no. No, it's funny. As soon as I heard him say it, like I know we've had that conversation before about the title of that anime I, and now it's pronounced. This is why I didn't like. Don't. It's yeah, fine. no, it's fine. It's, it's, fine. it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the character's proper name, which is oh, why right. it's. it's, I gotcha. it's But it's it's spelled Eureka. This is the this is this is okay. I don't want to. This is a different <laughs> podcast. I you can't get me to call her Aerith. Her name is Aerith. I don't care. It's I. You know what? I I'm more subscribe subscribe to the Tim Rogers theory that that her name is supposed to be Earth, but I'm not going to call her Earth <laughs> either. Just just for that. And this is a. If you listen to us talk about um, Satan or Satan, um, there's. It's just going to happen. Things words are wind. All words huh? are made up. Pronunciation is a moving goalpost. Like yes. back in the day, this is a minor thing, but I used to always call it. Turn a Gundam as opposed to emphasizing the capital A, turn a Gundam. Right. And I have also said verisimilitude and versimilitude. So, you know, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Uh, he also started as a novelist, though. Uh, cool. I packed a few things. He did a, a few uh, Martin successor. No, what's the Nadesco show? I can't remember the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Martian successor. No, yeah. yeah. I know what you mean, though. Uh, but anyway, he did like three novels of that. He wrote an OA MS team novel and uh, two Utna books, which is uh, pretty rad, too. Oh, cool. Um, Taniguchi wanted to shake things up for his next work like I said before he was growing tired of the bog standard late night anime aesthetics this is his words here it's full of my jazz combo <laughs> d- dour middle tone colors he wanted style pizzazz a look and feel that really popped so he approached Clamp aha finally gets to talk about Clamp oh boy Clamp is the best <laughs> noodle arms <laughs> if you've ever seen those big th- uh, balloon like things in the side of uh, do Clamp design this <laughs> Oh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> they the wacky, were wacky waving inflatable tube bar men. So if you don't know who Clamp is, or Clamp is the name of the internationally acclaimed mangaka collective comprised of four women. Uh, Nana, Nanase Okawa, Mokona, Subaki Nakoi, 
and Satsuki Igarashi began working together in high school selling doujinshi in the mid-80s in the Kansai region of Japan. Professor. Yes. I would like to ask for a definition. What is the meaning of a doujin? Uh, like a fa- like fan. Yeah, fan, fan comics. Fan comics? Yeah. Things that you publish yourself. Okay. So publish work. I have also seen it applied to games as well. Yes, yeah, same thing. And w- well, not not manga, but yeah. But I was coming to understand that it basically seemed to mean a sort of. Uh, it seemed to be more determined by nature of publication than necessarily something about the work itself. Yeah, for games, you could go into like an old. This is way more back in the day, but you could go into an old like basement shop in Tokyo, and people might uh, shmups were really popular. Like fan made shmups were really popular back in the day. Right. You could you like could, Cave Story, for example. Not that Cave Story is a shmup. Right. You could arguably put like. You know, uh, RPG Maker yeah. products into this category of thing. Yeah. It's just a matter of a, it's a fan made, self published, you know, okay. uh, product in a. Uh, it doesn't have to be a previously established thing, but often it is. Yeah. Mm. So, a casual anime fans tend to make a lot of generalizations regarding Clamp, and I think erroneously pigeonhole their work exclusively under the shoujo label, which refers to, you know, generally girls' anime. And by no means is that an insult, but they're so much more diverse than the output. They've done a lot of things. They've been writing and drawing manga for over two decades and have created franchises that not only have stood the test of time but also span genres. I just want to point out before we move away from Clamp and their work in fan works that one of their most famous pieces is a male preg story where uh, Kakuin from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure gives birth to an egg and the father is Jotaro, Jotaro Kujo. That we, sounds dope. I haven't can, heard of that, though. We can move on. <laughs> this is this is a... Well, I was going to throw it back to you guys. What's your history with Clamp? <laughs> and how would you define Clamp? So I think my history of Clamp is probably going to be a pretty standard one for a lot of people. Now, I don't think I knew it at the time, of course, what I was dealing with, but... I think Card Captor Sakura had a run on Fox, right? Yes. And, and so Card Captors it was known as Yeah. And so that would be the, the outlet I was most familiar with. I never I, I mean I recognize the name Magic Knight Ray Earth. Had never really got anywhere near that. I know there's a good Saturn game that was work you know made uh, put together in the states by our boy Ireland. Oh yeah, last uh, uh, Saturn release. The last the, the North American Saturn release. It was release. supposed to be one of the first releases too. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's a mech show technically. Yeah, yeah. well that's the only one like you know we mm-hmm. could do that online. Yeah, that one I mean uh, uh, that would be I mean that one has as many mechs in it as Pat Lever 3 does. So, you know, Ooh. No. Um, That's a long, like, 52-episode series to get yeah. through without Max. I haven't seen it. I've seen parts of it. Yeah, the series apparently is not as good as the manga, but anyway. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm actually... I would describe myself as a fan of Clamp's works. Uh, you know, Stephen Hero here in his history brings up a, a list of successful properties, and, and I'm pretty familiar with all of these. X-1999, not a shoujo, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it, it is... Uh, it has elements of shoujo, I would say, in that it focuses more on drama than... Oh, yeah. I wouldn't agree with that label anyway, but a lot of anime fans I've met over the years tend to associate yeah. with shoujo. Well, because I think what's going on is a situation where Clamp has such a, a striking, distinctive style, and people associate those aesthetics more with a genre than with the yeah. creators, which is a thing that can happen sometimes. And if you looked at the the way that uh, Clamp typically presents their characters, even in Code Geass, who where they only did the designs, where I think you'll, you will get to that eventually, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a, 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 a style that you would... It's like, you know... Uh, more aesthetically pleasing faces, harsher angles, yeah. longer bodies, you know, similar types of bodies, by the way. There's not much separating a male and female form. Mm-hmm. That's something that's pretty typical to shoujo. 
Um, but X nineteen ninety nine is harsh. This is a a, a pretty like that was uh, my ship. That was like what got me into Clamp. I because the movie was readily available when other anime was not in the states. Right, the movie before the TV show. The film, and yes. I remember I dug the film. The manga is actually hasn't finished. They stopped working on two thousand and three, and most of their stuff they finished. I would like to go back to X. I, it's all foggy memory. It's it's very Stephen Hero middle school early high school, but. but as like a lot of us, <laughs> yeah. Card Captor Sakura though was big into. Really loved Chobits. Really loved. I've I've mentioned previously. Um, oh God, Angelic Lair, which yeah. is a, another clamp joint. Um, uh, Subasa, which is a like Ignismaticy like like dream situation where they kind of made their own Kingdom Hearts, but with clamp series. So it's card captor characters traveling through different worlds oh, of cool. clamp. Like it's unfortunately it's a clusterfuck. It oh. it goes totally buck wild eventually we find out that one of the primary characters we've been following was in the middle of the story replaced with a vampire clone of that character and there is a separate version of this character who is the real version of this main character like this that is that old chest uh, yeah i hate to see that happen yeah exactly <laughs> uh but anyway yeah clamp's good yeah so you know like i was saying clamp definitely has a trademark visual style for me i associate like a very ornamental style uh, usually very wearing very beautiful filigreed clothing. Uh, their character designs really stick out. Oh, Often their characters are pretty tall. Yes. And uh, with noodly arms. I didn't mean to steal the thunder out of you. This paragraph oh, no. I didn't read ahead. I'm no, sorry. The, the harsh angles are really good, too. And you can usually tell based on not only the faces, but the hair. Like, for example, I can pick out a Tetsuya Nomura character from Six Miles sure, Away. Sure, sure, sure. And same with Clamp. I can't say that for everyone, but definitely Clamp has a distinct style. Uh, so let's 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 delve into a little history of Clamp specifically. So in the '80s, in uh, high school and college, the four four of them got together. They informally worked with seven other manga artists in a group called Clamp Cluster. This is like '85-ish. Eventually, the four f- closest friends consolidated their money and attempted to make a living writing and drawing manga together as friends and business partners. Uh, so they acquired a studio apartment in Tokyo and made a go at it. So critics and fans often mention the very close working relationship between the four artists. They're very close. They're all friends. They've known each other since high school. A few of them even went to the same college. And they've maintained their friendship into the present. Clamp still exists. Very productive, well into the present. Uh, One Japanese interviewer referred to them as four friends who do what they love more than anything else. Uh, Lots of positive vibes, I would imagine, in the office. Even though Okawa is the quote-unquote de facto spokesperson, she doesn't consider herself the boss. Their roles vary from project to project, and they all deny that there is a boss or a leader of the group. It's like if Valve worked right. I don't know if, like, the, the anarcho-syndicalism of Valve is complicated and compromised, but there's, like, also, like, 300 people working for them. Right. But it's, I would imagine that's, idealistically, it's much more easy to implement that with four close mm-hmm, friends. For sure. But they achieved relative success early, but not without, ex- without extraordinary effort. In 2006, during the production of Code Geass, they operated, and I believe they still operate, out of a three-story building in Tokyo, uh, the first floor serves as their office while they live in the upper two floors, uh, t- two on each floor. Back then, and it's still probably well into the present, uh, they began their workday at 10 a.m. and continued until 6 p.m. when they had dinner. After dinner, they promptly returned to the literal drawing board until 12 or 1, at which point they would finally get some sleep. Uh, even with a few breaks, you know, they have lunch, they'd have you know, a break in the afternoon. That must have been a grueling schedule to keep. I, I couldn't even imagine it. And well into yeah, their like, mid-50s, continuing working without you know, probably six, sometimes I would imagine even seven days a week. Mm. Them for decades now. It's well over two decades. But at the time in the mid-aughts, they had two weekly series going, and they finished approximately 120 to 130 pages a week. Compare that with, imagine as a Hunter Hunter fan, if you were getting those <laughs> those pages weekly. Wow. 
He's I, dead now. I needed a current example. You just killed him. That's so rude. I apologize. Uh, uh, so this is a two-show <laughs> podcast now. I'm, I'm in the ground. Uh, uh, my, you are receiving this signal from my casket. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, this is now the, the podcast form of that cool ghost show. <laughs> <laughs> and their release schedule has been uh, has remained much the same to the present. They have two works going on. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Triple X Holic Ray began in 2003. And uh, a sequel, I didn't know existed either, Card Captor Sakura Clear Card, which began in 2016. And they're currently ongoing. It's pretty good. Is it good? Cool. Well, has it been animated? Yes. It's on Cartier. Oh, cool. But uh, by 2007, they have sold nearly 100 million Tankoban. Just think graphic novels. Uh, so by no means is their success relegated to Japan. They're known internationally. Uh, so let's go back to Sunrise, talk about their relationship. Uh, their partnership marked the first time Clamp was approached by an animation studio to design its characters, which I'm a little surprised about. That's like well over 15 years later. However, their creative input extended beyond the mere visual. Clamp contributed heavily to the early world building of Code Geass. If Code Geass goes off the rails later on, do not attribute it to Clamp. Clamp only did the early stuff, helping to flesh out, you know, the setting and the characters. Interesting. So, just from watching the first episode, you can see Clamp's influence, especially in Luch. Uh, a lot of Clamp shows, I'm looking at UX, feature characters predisposed to brooding and sometimes extended monologues. I've only seen the first episode of Code Geass at this point, so uh, I might be making some assumptions. Clamp is one of those studios where you can kind of... Um, PMC, you, you, you are exhausted by Akira Toriyama because the way that he uh, reuses his designs, uh, at this point, you are completely sick of looking at. Is that unfair to say? That is completely fair to say about my <laughs> attitude towards Toriyama designs. <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, Clamp, <laughs> um, you know, for better or for worse, has a similar sort of uh, uh, philosophy where you can see the echoes of previous character yeah. designs in some of their... Specifically, Suzaku looks exactly like Xiaoran from Card Captors, and, and way more trending on his design in Subasa, where he's one of the main characters. But this is something that I think they're a little bit better at shaking up. Like Specifically, yeah. I think Lelouch doesn't necessarily look like anybody else in their, mm-hmm. in their wheelhouse. But anyway, Steven, I didn't mean to cut you oh, off. Oh, no, no, it's good. Uh, Lelouch, uh, they originally conceived of having white hair. Uh, Okawa later remarked that she pictured him as... A beauty, and I've heard this a million times before. An overall cool character. Getting some Trey's vibes, maybe. I mean, I can't wait until the Mechanations uh, Top 10 Cool Characters ranking. <laughs> oh, man. We just should do a Top 10 list soon. That's, <laughs> yeah. something, that's, some, that's some good SEO right there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, Makona, arguably Clamp's strongest artist, finalized the character designs of the show. The work then fell to Takahiro Kimura, uh, an animator at Sunrise. So, Clamp just designed the characters, and then they passed it off to Sunrise. And then this young man had to take those designs and like convert it to Clamp's workflow process for a smooth transition. So he uh, painstakingly, in preparation, poured over various Clamp art books and Tankoban to get a feel for their style. I'd say it's pretty effective. Again, I've only seen the first episode of Code Geass. It's interesting because it's stuff that they don't – specifically the Nightmares is a, is a kind of design uh, that you don't really see in other Clamp stuff. Like, if, yeah. Especially if you look at the, the, the things that, that appear in Magic Knight Ray Earth, they don't look similar to the Nightmares, yeah. which are – Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so before we move on, I just want to highlight a few other individuals on the Sunrise size side. Uh, Kenji Taraoka was a mechanical designer. I think he was one of a few. Uh, he's responsible for the mechs in many of the most recent Gundam shows, including both uh, 
zero zero. I don't know what fans call it. Zero zero or double zero. Double O. Double O. That's what I hear most often. And is it age or A G E? I hear A G E, but uh, I'm that's that is that's just me. All right, I can definitely pronounce this one though. Iron Blooded Orphans. <laughs> so he's he's uh, you know he's he's currently with Sunrise. I'm sure he's working on the new Gundam. I'm show. sorry, that's Eron Blooded Orphans. <laughs> <laughs> he's also stuck with Code Geass up until the third movie, which uh, released pretty recently. Kotaro uh, Nakagawa and Hitomi uh, Kuroishi composed the music for the show. Uh, they have a close working ship with uh, Taniguchi. They worked on a few of his other shows like Planets. And I think uh, the, the Cross Show, the name I've already forgotten. Oh, Gun Cross Sword? The Gun Cross Sword, that classic. So it finally released. All right. Taniguchi and his team wanted the show to air in the morning or early evening, thus targeting a younger and larger demographic. This is interesting. Specifically, and this is back in 2005, 2006, they wanted the Saturday 6 p.m. slot, which is when Gundam Seed and the original, not Brotherhood, the original Full Metal Alchemist aired. Mm. But it's a very coveted time slot. But it was later changed to late night, like many of his other shows, which influences a lot of the tone of Code Geass. And keep that in mind, because later on, the time sh- slot will change, I think, in season two. So be, be, be prepared for another tonal change. Interesting. So at this point in the production process, they shifted gears and tailored the show for, more, uh, for an older audience. Uh, basically, more blood. Uh, hence the scene with the soldiers. Uh, but even before its air date, Code Geass hit a chord. Uh, Sunrise premiered the first episode at a special test screening where they were met with, quote, tremendous applause. Uh, Code Geass first aired on October 6th in Japan in 2006. Interesting. This is fascinating. I found this later on. It wasn't broadcast at the same time across the entire country. It aired first in the Kansai region a day before the rest of the country, which is where, not where Clamp works, but where they came from. I wonder if that was some contractual thing or just some quirk. Interesting. Because once Code Geass hit a chord, that would be the equivalent of Game of Thrones and airing a day earlier in... Uh, California, yeah, yeah, somewhere in the states, and then it was this show really hit a chord and it was really popular right off the bat. And some of the creators talked about it, and they would be online, and they thought it helped fuel the interest. Like they went on like a social media at the time, or just people went on social media and they saw things like you know the, the Kansai region's really flipping out about something. I wonder what that is, and they theorized that maybe that helped you know water cooler talk or something like that really huh. helped uh, gin up some popularity for the show. <laughs> But anyway, it was a media success since popularity only grew over time. Its success can most tangibly be measured in DVD sales. And by August 2008, over 900,000 Code Geass discs were sold, which is a really impressive number for Japan. Uh, fun fact, it got released on UMD. You could put it next to your copy of the Bebop movie. It wasn't released in the States, though. Okay. But if you remember, Advent Children. Let me yeah. put an asterisk here if you need this footnote. It was Sony's proprietary, proprietary format for the PSP. Uh, this uh, The Code Geass UMD was exclusive to Japan, but there are also a couple of Code Geass PSP games as well. But it was a big deal. Also good to keep in mind, 2006, we're talking about post-recession. I think that helped the show a lot. Yeah. Also keep in mind, there's been a lot of think pieces in the last few years about the current state of the mecha genre. You might remember back in the early you know, 2010, 2011, people were talking about, oh, the Japanese industry, mm-hmm. game industry is dead. Yeah. Kenji Inafune did some interview. He made that statement. And of course, they've since rebounded. You could argue they were always there to begin with. But people have talked about the mecha genre as if it's, on, it's waning. If you think about the last big shows, it's Code Geass and Gurren Lagann, which Code Geass aired, season one. Gurren Lagann, the year after. Season 2 of Code Geass, 2008, right before the Great Recession. So you could, I'm sure you can make a think piece on that. Think of it what you will. I, when I think about Mecca now and just think about where the fans are, the fans are definitely older. Younger fans 
like Gundam, but they don't really watch it for the show. They don't really watch it as much as they like the kits. Right. So just something to keep in mind. Mecha now especially skews to an older audience, which I guess it did in the 80s too, especially in Japan with the OVAs, for example. If you're six years old, you're not going out and buying a $60 VHS tape. But it, was, it launched a 1,000 merchandising opportunities. The second season, three films, which I believe take place in Altered Dimension. I'm not sure if they're recap films or not. I haven't seen them. I've heard mixed things. Several OVAs, manga, light novels. And bear in mind, this was an original property. It wasn't based off a of previous manga. Action figures, mech kits, video games, audio dramas, and more. Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. Bondi Entertainment handled the U.S. localization back when they existed. And Adult Swim picked up for broadcast and began airing it. In April 2008. Uh, so, General, what is your history with Code Geass? Um, so, I have a close friend who's a big fan of Code Geass, but a recent uh, uh, onboarder for Code Geass rather than someone who watched it at the time. Uh, I was around in middle and high school when Code Geass was coming out, and I avoided it like the plague. Both of you knew me in that time, so you know that I had a sort of attitude about uh, bummers. Uh, did not watch bummer shows. Just typically, I would avoid them, and especially shows at this time. I was exhausted with antiheroes. I, I was just like not into the concept of someone who had to do uh, uh, bad things to pretend to be good, and that people couldn't tell. This was uh, Death Note was a big thing right about now, and uh, I was just not looking into uh, Death Note, but with Max at the time so i didn't avoid it i or avoided it until recently i'm a little bit more familiar with it now but in a uh i've watched episodes here and there with friends sort of thing and and i know what happens in it and what it's about but i'm not necessarily a fan yeah i have a similar story back in so 2006 i was in high school uh junior year of high school the big and the boom days of anime for me were middle school and early high school. So I had no idea this existed in Japan at the time. I wasn't watching any fan subs on my computer. I was busy waiting for Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen <laughs> to, to date myself back in time. You know all the rest of us. But I did remember it. It was one of those shows that struck a chord in the anime world, especially for casual fans. There's always the show every few years that everyone's talking about. Your Devilman Crybaby, your One Punch Man. I, Code Geass I knew existed. I had roommates who were watching it the second season in, high, in, in college. So I knew it existed. It was very popular at the time. People it's, were talking about it's it. It's definitely one of those, for sure, at the time, yeah. Like, yeah. like Full Metal Alchemist and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, PMC, do you have any history? For me, at that time, I would have been, you know, pretty deep in college. I'm the oldest one on the podcast, mm-hmm. and old snake over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And so I only really had one acquaintance in my college friends who was like up keeping up on anime, uh, and it was his fault that I watched. Like I, I ended up watching Death Note, which I thought was fine, and uh, and then I watched Berserk. And then I and then Sorry. and then he recommended he recommended Bleach to me, and then I never took hey, any hey, of his hey. recommendations again. Yeah, that uh, same roommate was watching Code Geass <laughs> along with Bleach, and what's the bread show, Ignis? Oh, Yakitate Japan. Yeah, so I, I generally speaking, I was too busy uh, drinking and drinking probably to have paid attention at the time. Uh, much more recently, I you know, I can't say that I think my my partner uh, watched the show as it is on Netflix currently, and she really enjoyed it. So that's uh, you know, so that's the most recent history. But other than that, I I really know anything. Before watching the first episode, I I honestly thought it was uh, like a medieval setting or something. I had no yeah. idea it was uh, you know uh, alternate history. So. 
Before we finish, I just want to leave off with one thing. When we get to the future things, I'll have another history segment about season two when it really blew up and the films, if we ever get there, whatever. But with the re- recent release of the third film and the enormous financial success Code Yes has seen over the last you know, decade, Taniguchi has now, as of 2019, these, these declarations always fail. You heard it here first. Has committed to a 10-year plan for Code Geass. <laughs> you might remember, I don't know, Anno and that issue of New Type back in 2007, with Ray on the cover saying, yeah, I'm going to make four rebuild films. They're going to happen one after the other each year. These, these, <laughs> these plans, that was 2007. These plans often get changed. They don't come about. I don't know how he's going to fuel 10 years of Code Geass, but uh-huh. I, I also, the, the, oh, no. the, the fans won't, it's, it won't be the water cooler show again, I would imagine. Not to the degree it was before. No, I don't. I don't think that it's hard to do that sort of thing now with with a, with a show that does it and with a straight not straightforward, but like it requires some kind of gimmick in a way mm-hmm. to in order to have that same sort of effect. Now, I, I don't even know. I mean, as far as the the being on the current pulse of anime, anyway, I, I kind of have to wait for the the younger folks and the, the fandoms same. that I hermetically sort of exist outside of to start saying things, and then and that that's has- when I pay attention yeah and a lot of that's aided by netflix and, and in 10 years netflix probably won't be the zeitgeist like it is now There's a lot more competition certainly but you know like a gretzko or delmar crybaby netflix right i know one now some not everything is filtered through netflix but quite a few things are that's how it gets popular here anyway yeah I, right like, right. like uh, i think a big thing oh, that yeah or ava with netflix too right ava or i was gonna say you know attack on titan unfortunately what what helped to get that show big was that it was accessible on netflix you know that first move you made hmm? why'd you start with the king if the king doesn't lead how can he expect his subordinates to follow but in any case, now that we've we're we are uh, Code Geass scholars, we have we have earned our diplomas in in Clamp. I'll deploy you into battle now. Yeah. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm, watch out! I'm on classic mode. Fend for your life. Oh yeah, no, that's right. If we die permanently, <laughs> uh, I've tied on my roller skates, so I think I'm, I'm just going to scoot down into the the first episode of Code Geass. Uh, should I uh, begin with our summary here? Please. Go for it. All right. So the year is after Colony 1908. Oh, no, it's not. It's an even faker year. The year 2017. Uh, the Holy Britannian Empire has invaded and conquered the nation of Japan, subjugating it to such a degree that it is now simply known as D-Block. Wait. Sorry. Wait. <laughs> Area 11 or Sector 11? I actually don't remember what term they use, but Eleven is what it's known as now. Our story follows Lelouch Lamperouge, who is actually Lelouch v. Britannia, an exiled prince, as he does some fresh prince shenanigans on some stupid nobles for fun. Meanwhile, some terrorists and my new girlfriend have stolen something from the Britannian nobles who rule Japan, and in the process of escaping, come across Lelouch. Lelouch, investigating to spite all the regular folk who only gawk at it, becomes entangled in the escape. In the process, he reunites with his childhood friend and crush Suzaku, who discover that the terrorists stole a classic 2006 narrative device, a girl in a box. With green hair. Yeah, right. Unfortunately, have green hair. they are caught by Britannian forces. Lelouch escapes, but Suzaku is shot and presumably killed. Lelouch, a little later, is captured by the same goddamn group <laughs> and threatened with death. The girl in the box makes a pact with Lelouch, promising him power in exchange for isolation. Lelouch uses his new power, which gives him special eye. Uh, to order the forces pursuing him to shoot themselves. The horror of the violence gives him some pause, but only reinforces his steely dissolve... Resolve? Dissolve? (laughs) It dissolves the people to destroy Britannia. 
and that ends episode one. Yeah. Do you think? Do you feel like I, I missed any beats? Yeah, that's good. No, I think you covered it. I think. Uh, I, I think as far as the the action goes, yeah, uh, the, it's pretty straightforward. And I think a lot of what we're going to discuss will probably be at the characters. Yes, right? the character yeah. level. Yeah. I think it's fair to say we really uh, we really start out with a a uh, a history lesson, right? Where yeah. we we get uh, introduced to the setting, which is a uh, like a PMC introduces us with a an alternate a history. I have mixed feelings about this. I have a lot of, to say about this opening y- scene. Yeah, um, but it was effective, right? It put you right in it, uh, and it introduced us even to the, the primary dramatic relationship in the show, which would be Lelouch and Suzaku, mm-hmm. who were childhood friends. I think at this point, it's interesting how we don't actually know the context for why Lelouch is in Japan. Yet. Yeah. Right, like this episode ends without telling us right. why. I think, by all accounts, it, if you just watch that first bit, you have to assume that Lelouch is just the son of Japan, who who wants revenge, right? On who the, hates Britannia? Yeah, um, Britannia. By the way, uh, it looks like I, I paused a couple of the maps. It looks like it's it's the U.S. and Britain. Yeah, I imagine it's an alternate history where the where the British Empire just kept on chugging. Yeah. yeah. All right. So a few things I want to talk about that. In particular, a lot of people have tried to read Code Geass allegorically, like very specifically, like, oh, you want to throw off the shackles of, um, you know, your major political enemy here is the United States. Yeah. I don't know if I buy, basically, it's going to come down to this, this old chestnut style over substance. I think overwhelmingly Code Geass is more concerned with style with the signifiers. Sure. Especially, not, I know the author's dead and all, but the creator was also very adamant it's not an allegory. That's why he changed some of the signifiers. So Britannia is North America and South America on the map. And then, uh, who else? What do they call themselves? Sorry, I have to look at my notes here. Europia United, and that occupies Europe and Africa. And then there's one more. The Chinese Federation. They come in later. Those oh, are the three major superpowers. Because, okay. yeah, in this first episode, we really only get introduced to the Holy Britannian right. Empire. Yeah, I had to do some fact-checking before I made that, too. I mean, there are other countries. That, you know, Japan used to be a sovereign nation in the country. but Yeah, I think it's worth noting, uh, you know, we, we've talked about a lot how this show, and, and even in the history it came up, how the show kind of has an interesting uh, post-structural relationship with Gundam Wing. Um, but we, here we have again uh, the an er, uh, aristocracy as uh, an antagonistic force. Yeah, right? there's a whole academic book out there that's waiting to be written if it hasn't already about you know Japan anime and the a generalized notion of. European aristocracy, like so, Military Academies, Valkyra Chronicles, Soccer Wars, Trails of Cold Steel, the list goes on and on. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because it's it's this thing where, and, and we'll discuss it later in, in the uh, scene where we get introduced to Lelouch, but like the show seems to be actively aware that, that, that privilege uh, can, can be uh, toxic and, and produce a, a person with... Uh, flawed mm-hmm. morals or ethics or 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 just uh, not effective right yeah. exactly the nobles are tepid opponents right um and and but like it doesn't seem to think it seems to think that this is a, a pro- not a thing built into any sort of like you know being rich or being uh, uh, uh in a position of privilege but this is just specifically european aristocracy <laughs> privilege that's bad it's interesting that they can hold those two ideas simultaneously yeah. and often i usually hold these these shows sometimes at a distance too because they often really revel in just the ornamentation of it like they really just dig the you know the ceremonial right. aspects of mm-hmm. it or even the wealth sometimes even though sometimes they do pointedly criticize it's it. the pomp right yeah. that's the pomp that they really like or, or it seems like that the text of the show really seems yeah. to enjoy in particular traveling through japan there's a real affinity with 
France in particular. There's, there is a relationship between France in the 19th century and Japan. You know, Japan was previously very much closed off to international trade. I don't know if that started or what, but Japan is very interested in – similar to how we exoticize Japan in the West, Japan often exoticizes America to some degree. That's different. And also Europe, but particularly often France, but not Europe of today, Europe in the Ancien Regime. Aristocrats. Yeah. It's there's definitely a at least in the 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 particular slice of Japanese pop media that I've been exposed to and then, and even called out specifically in some things. Um, I'm Yakutate Japan and um, Shokugeki no Soma both both food shows have particular I, I could think of specific sequences where they call out France in particular because of you know culinary things. But in either case, it's definitely a reoccurring fictional yeah. situation. When I was in Tokyo, there's a lot of croissant places we went to. Um, pretty good, too. So before, you know, we, we get introduced to these boys and the, the exposition dump, uh, do you guys have any thoughts about the intro by Flo? I, uh, oh, real quick, I didn't want to touch upon that montage in the beginning, just because it's something... So I want to touch upon this because it's going to come up in other shows. It's just a staple of Japanese anime and film in general is the cicadas. You've probably uh, heard the cicadas in the back. Uh, yeah. So in Japan, they tend to symbolize... Because in Japan, this is part of the generalization and part true. People work a lot. If Back in the 90s, at least, when you were a kid, you'd be going to school six days a week. I think that's changed. But you'd be going to school for a predominant part of the year. So you would go on vacation in the summertime, and often to escape the heat of the cities, you'd go to the rural countryside to visit maybe your relatives, go bug catching. So the cicadas often symbolize youth, but often youth in Japan. Actually, Ava plays with the cicadas pretty cool. Because not only does it, it also symbolizes dread too, because second impact was calamitous, completely changed the global climate. So it's perpetually summer in Japan. So you constantly hear the cicadas and this, it exists on a deeper level. But it's something I wanted to point out. So when Leiluch and Suzaku are running through the woods, those cicadas are very symbolic, but also cuts to other traditionally symbolic things of Japanese youth, like sunflowers and. Just the countryside in general. The, the and Mount Fuji, too. The semiotics of cicadas tend to be also, in a post-Evangelion world, melancholic. Yeah. It, it, it tends to be a, a thing of, of change or, like, think of it like a like a, a butterfly. Like, mm. it tends to be a metamorphosis situation due to the, the mm. cycle of cicadas. So there's a sort of, in this particular context, there's a sort of, like, sunsetting on childhood that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and sunsetting on, uh, I guess, a sovereign Japan. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting because I think for for me, like I noticed that the sort of you know the deafening quality of that intro and the cicadas sort of overtaking all of the sound, and I think for me, uh, you know, I guess maybe just because I spent too much time in Catholic school, I tend to uh, you know connect masses of bugs to plagues. Sure, yeah. So there, I think the idea of dread and perhaps that ties in or is, or is similar to the sense of, of cicada dread in. Ava. Uh, yeah, I like the Iridium Melancholy, too. It was very wistful, too, but Ava's permanently imprinted it in me, so whenever I hear cicadas, there's a bunch of cicadas around my house now. I just immediately feel a little wistful. There's a, uh, I think it's fair to ascribe it a, a nostalgic feeling, for sure. Yeah. I think nostalgia is, I think, the, the uh, a common sort of uh, uh, image applied to the cicadas. Um, but, you know, uh, just touching on the, the intro real quick, um, this was, uh, in, at the time, one of those things that would pop up on 
anime intro playlists and and so i i know this song a little bit more from that than than anything else and i'm into it Flo does a lot of anime intros at the time and they they kind of have a cool like i almost describe it as like a beach boys mm-hmm. sort of vibe it's, it has a real exuberance so i like to too, like the trumpets in it it's just good it's a it's a it's not good for the tone of the show mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it's know. maybe not appropriate for that but it, it's it's a song that i was into pmc it, it didn't really do anything for you it, i the, to me this is one of those songs that's only gonna work with me over time it's nothing about it made a strong first impression but it's not offensive either right it's yes. definitely one of those things where you know like after so many listens the chorus or something will really become an earworm and then i'm like you know what actually this is good it, it's no um zesty tales intro no or, it is um, not zesty tales the, the best thing about the zest about zesty tales is that intro song probably yeah another podcast i anyway. went back uh, through my memory and through i guess wikis to see what other openings of the time really caught me but i wasn't watching much anime at the time the only contender like between 2005 2008 ready steady go i would say is my number one well, right now um the second death note intro would be would be playing which is the um uh, is that the human sucker? Yeah, that's yeah. the Ningen fuckers one. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. All right. <laughs> I would love you to put just just a little bit of that in just, the, after we talk about that. No, no I'm just going to insert a clip of me reading the lyrics strongly. <laughs> that would be better. Hey, hey, human sucker. Ah, uh, human, human fucker. What's up, people? Um, so, uh, we, we cut ahead to, um, cause I should say the invasion, I think happens in 2015. Cause, cause the, sh- what says seven years, seven years later. Oh, 2010 is yeah, when it happened. Yeah. I remember. So when- I guess the war is like about a year long. I also think that's one of the pop, the reason why Code Geass really struck a national chord because it's basically reversing the history of Imperial Japan, which potentially makes the show, if you read on a strictly political level, a little more than a little problematic because basically it's saying, let's not. You know, forget our history of the aggressor. Don't think critically about it. Now we are the oppressed, as opposed to the oppressors. I think that's why it really struck. Up. Just people who probably didn't normally watch anime probably got into it a bit. Yeah, I was going to say it probably had a similar sort of uh, uh, situation. That uh, what is that that movie? God damn it! Where is eighties movie? Where oh, uh, um, uh, uh, where the, the kids in the countryside fight the Soviets? Yeah, in Alaska, like it's like a Red Scare, Red Terror. Oh, it's uh, Swayze in it, right? R- red, red, uh, red, dawn? red Dawn, Red Dawn, Red Dawn, there Red Dawn. Dawn. Ding. Um, so yeah. uh, uh, it's like that, but Japan. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, we we cut ahead and and is it uh, initially we we are introduced to this um this this man playing chess, right? Uh, and and he's playing chess against someone who is we can pick up from signifiers. I would describe this someone as if you showed me this person, someone who is in chess club or is the the like professor of chess club. <laughs> he is some kind of intellectually like looking person. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and this person is getting it seems beaten badly, right? right? Or is nervous about his yeah. play at the very least. Um, and so PMC. Uh, Stephen Hero, if you would allow me a, a diversion to talk mm-hmm. about another show Go I've never it. talking about before, uh, another show where are we going to talk about Hunter Hunter? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, that's so TNG. yeah, I'm twelve uh, episodes in, I want to talk about someone. Uh, so we can talk about Star Trek another time for sure. <laughs> um, but uh, usually, when you have a situation where you are uh, using a game with a structure that is well known, 
you you do it to establish things about your character, right? This is something that we discussed a little bit in Pat Labor Three when we were dismayed at how little the baseball game introduces oh, yeah. us to. Oh, Hata, 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 Hata. We didn't forget the names. You I, forgot the I, names, I, that, audience. Exactly. <laughs> I was about to call him Agent Cooper. Um, Hollands. <laughs> that is a Hata take. Anyway, uh, we are introduced to this nobleman who's who we don't have a name. He's just a fucker. He he just looks like someone a boss of a fire emblem level, right? Yeah, or like a uh, evil persona or teacher, like, yeah, uh, Don Corneo from yeah. FF7. Oh, yeah, there you go. Good yeah. pull, good pull. So Don Corneo has is is giving. It seems we can com- probably surmise is putting this chess person under increasing stress in order to win the game, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I I would hope based off of what we learn later from the Luch that this guy isn't actually good at chess. I have my problems with this scene because I don't think it does a great job here. So so in in Hunter Hunter in the parallel scene I'm talking about, we it's made clear to us that the uh, character who is bad, who is excellent at these games, uh, is calling masters to to play and and and, and defeat right to yes. prove. Long story short, to prove his sovereignty in all things, um, and in this case, we don't necessarily have time to do that. So it, it kind of establishes, like, when I first watched this, I was like, oh, this nobleman's really good at chess. And we're establishing that he's really good at chess so that Lelouch can overcome him with his Sherlock Holmes teenager powers. <laughs> um, I'm going to start calling him Lulu from now on, by the way. I think that's an amazing nickname for <laughs> this fucking character. Um, he was... Can I do a quick Lelouch sidebar real quick? Please, 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 please. This is honestly the time to do it. This is the time where we're yeah. introduced to the character. All right, so hyper-confident, hyper-serious, and highly skilled in what he's skilled at, what he does. Right. All right, this is like... He is the quintessential Machiavellian loner that fits a very specific... Not only anime archetype, but an archetype of some clamp shows. He is mid-2000s as oh, fuck, I know. by and, the way. And he was voted most popular male character by readers in a Japanese magazine called Anime Age in 2006, 2007, and 2008. Japan loves them some Lelouch. Interesting. The way you just described him now made me think of a, of a director-actor, uh, Neil Breen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! I need, a, I need a footnote. Who, so Neil Breen, uh, Neil Breen is one of those guys who has become infamous for making bad films. Uh, he's made a number of films that have sort of like lightly oh, right. thriller sci-fi uh, elements. They're very low budget. Again, self-direct, self-act. And in all of these like films... Like Tommy Wiseau's joints? Yes. Yeah. It's, yes. The people who like The Room would also like Neil Breen's films. Sure, Double Down yeah. and uh, Fuck... I, I'm, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's not important. The, the point is, in all of these films, the, the Neil Breen lead character is always someone who is the best at everything that he does. <laughs> I've only watched one of his in, in which he was like this like super spy who had like millions of phones and laptops and was invisible to the government and the government was afraid of him. And, and so it's and so, and so kind of a similar idea here where you just have that person who is infinitely confident and uh, bizarrely enough, is usually able to back up, you know, in the context of, you know, because you because the writer writes them that way, they succeed. So yeah. I, to build off of that, the thing that we we discover about Lelouch in this scene is that um, despite the the pressures that he is under, 
he is able to use an, an unorthodox uh, method of play in order to defeat his opponent. I, I don't know. I, I'm not a chess player. Yeah, I'm not a chess I'm, expert. I can, I'm very casual. Yeah, I'm just I mean, someone. I can play chess. That's yeah, about exactly. It. As someone who, who can just play strategy games and can look at the way that pieces can move, I could play someone, but someone who's good at chess will beat me. In 9 out of 10 games, I will lose. However, I, I think it's fair to say, typically, unless you're doing a specific maneuver, you, you don't move the king unless you have to, right? Unless you're, you're setting up a specific defensive maneuver or it, to move it out of check, you don't move the king. Yeah, It's um, the frigate in Rogue Squadron. Right, exactly. Um, except that... Uh, the frigate in Rogue Squadron is is destroyed by a simple breeze, or <laughs> yeah, to uh, use that common metaphor that our listeners will readily pick up. Yeah, on. exactly. Um, in any case, though, uh, what we learn see here by having Lelouch uh, use the king in his initial move is that he is he is someone who is, and this is something he'll repeat later at the end of the episode. He is someone who is not willing to engage in a thing. Um, unless he is also put at risk, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he is risking the entire game by using the king piece. It's the only piece that you need to take in order to win the game. Uh, and, you know, we see later, we don't see how he does it, because uh, we needed to establish that it is an impossible-to-win scenario, most importantly. We don't need to show how he does it. We just need to tell the audience that he does do it. That's writing, folks. <laughs> I'm not complaining, by the way. That's I'm, I'm just saying, like, you literally don't have to show us. That's not important. Yeah. You can just tell us that he's good at this. That's I, I think that's fine. Uh, he also has a comedy character. What is his name? Rivolts. I right. kept calling him Rolts, which is a Pokemon. And, well, they call him Rival. Rivals? Rival in the dub. <laughs> yeah. You know, I should have remembered. I'm just yeah. reading off the page. Yeah. I would pronounce it Rivolts. But... Yeah. Oh, is it Rivolts? Well, you... Or is it Rival or Rival? I can't remember. It's now. fine. It's yeah. comedy comedy sidekick. Yeah. If he becomes important, we'll... Literally comedy sidecar. He's like on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, that sums up Lelouch perfectly. Him reading Hamlet in the sidecar of a motorcycle as his buddy from school drives him around. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think... I think you mean he's reading Hamnet or or possibly Hamrit. <laughs> he's reading Hamnet or Hamrit and oh, fucking A. Does I that, can't I'm so in love with the fact that he's sitting there reading Hamlet. Oh, Are you fact fucking that kidding wrong, me? That's perfect. Or, uh, but it uh, might be right in this it setting. True, true. But also I read it cuz uh I'll talk more about this later, but Code Geass reminds me of a lot of like romantic literature. I'll talk about that later, but the symbolism is very much present. Yes. So I also read it as, you know, you have the king piece and you have Hamlet as well. He's interested in toppling the king or at least, you know, Britannian hegemony. I could see why they would pick Hamlet for this character to be reading. Yeah. He's definitely a a Hamlet figure. Yeah. Uh so anyway, so they're they're making their way downtown walking fast. Uh, and they're trying to make it back to school in time after this chess game. Did they win money? It seems like they did, right? Because the girl characters who... Um, these characters will learn the names of later, but they don't introduce us to them right now. They just talk about how much they love Lelouch um, and how good he is at things. And they get him killed later. Um, uh, Yo, but, that's what you get for having your ringer yeah, turned on, that's, asshole. That's your fucking fault. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely not hers. In any case, uh, the, we see uh, here a group of uh, rebels uh, a, assault the, the, the Britannian Empire truck. This is like, there was a second here where I was like, uh, uh-oh, I put on Pat Labor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we, got a, we got a runaway truck with some rebels stealing some stuff, yeah. and then they, they call in the, the Beach Empire. Beach House Terrorists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Suppress at all costs. Um, the uh, so so we see these these uh, uh, d- uh, you know uh, definitely not as well equipped uh, r- rebel forces uh, stealing something from the Britannians uh, 
And eventually, as as this goes on, they they uh, unleash what the first nightmare that we see on screen. We're introduced to the nightmares in the in the uh, uh, exposition dump, but this is an earlier form of them where they're a little bit more. Uh, I would compare them more to the Leos than anything mm-hmm. else from Gundam yeah. Wing. Yeah. yeah, the headpiece kind of reminds with the the uh, the roll row of eyes as like maybe Unit Two from Ava. But... Yeah, there's definitely the other thing that it reminded me of immediately is the Tachikomas uh, oh, yeah. from uh, Ghosts in the Shell, which are robots and not mechs, but you know. Uh, uh, um, well, you kind of have a pilot in in the Tachikoma. Yeah, I, it's it, not quite. I mean, you still have the robot sure, there. Sure, yeah. Let's move on. Well, right, because then <laughs> we can start talking about if AIs are pilots. Yeah, I don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't bring my notes. For this. Yeah. Exactly. I'll put this back. Oh God. Okay. Um. So, uh, <laughs> at, 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 during the the process of trying to recapture these rebels. Uh, the the truck is run off the road. Right. So yeah, because of the R- Rival sidecar comedy Hamlet show, the truck has to. <laughs> I, that scene is so perfect. <laughs> it's so good. It's the, so fucking. The good. truck gets run off the road. Uh, everyone starts gawking at it, and apparently, another element to Lelouch's personality, I think, and you brought this up very wisely in your summary, Ignis, is that he is the sort of person who is contrarian, he will do something different to spite other people, whereas many people, when they see this truck get uh, strike a building, just become bystanders. Uh, Lelouch is different. Right, so I think what's important, and this is the reason why I brought it up, it, because it's it's important to know about his character, is that he is seen performing what can be construed as a moral or ethical action but the reason he's driven to do it is not because of morals or ethics it is because he is disgusted by the bystanders who are aren't looking to help it is not from a right a uh uh uh, what would be the term like a uh uh altruistic altruistic thank you an altruistic uh 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 uh, impulse right he's not being a good samaritan no he is but but it doesn't this is the thing that's important. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, from the perspective of anyone who's going to tell the story, it is a teenage boy who went to the assistance of people who needed help. And the only people who are into the idea that this is him being an asshole is the audience. It's mm-hmm. just important for us, the audience, to know right, that. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, in the process of investigating this truck, uh, he, you know, this is pretty, some pretty standard mecha a uh, scenario, right, where he gets caught up in in the escape attempt. And I actually so- really like how quick this opening the the first episode works. Taniguchi said, "Oh, we actually tried a new thing. Uh, we decided to jump right into the action." And hey, I think the in media rest nature works, but also it's pretty common in Mecca. I mean, Amuro and Shinji both get in the robot in the first episode. Yeah, that, yeah. So I this is, I think this is a pretty yeah good, I mean, good but I, standard right. I mean, I think this this works. Uh, you know. To varying extents, how quickly do you get... Oftentimes, we have a protagonist who is unfamiliar with actually piloting mechs or, or doesn't have experience with the real mechs of the show. And you just brought up Amaro and Shinji, and I think you can apply that to you know, to your other heroes, to Camille, to the double Zeta guy. What's his name? Judon? Yeah. Um, Hold on. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I think the way that they get Lelouch into the mystery into the the political conflict without necessarily having to accelerate him straight into a nightmare i, mean, I don't know if he gets into a nightmare i'm assuming he does but we don't know that at this point yep. uh Fair so point good yeah good to, good to note really but yeah. but we you know he is accelerated into being involved in this conflict which has been set up for us by by the opening and we know that lelouch 
wants to, or at least as a child, express the desire to obliterate Britannia. I, I was going to say, it's it's good for you to note that, honestly, because I was going to say that something that's interesting is that we already have a a character impetus in this regard, and, and now we just see how he becomes empowered to do that that very thing. Uh, so uh, we we also cut to the the uh, rebels and their their actions against being captured, and they deploy our our first named uh, 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 nightmare, which I believe is the Glasgow. Yeah, um, yeah. and the Glasgow uh, I believe would be named after I think a uh, uh, province of Scotland. That's yes. a city in Scotland. Yeah. Yes, um, Gias also has something Celtic, maybe in origins. All, all like the just the superficial signifiers usually point to Britain. Yeah, we're going to get some. We we we've already heard the term Ragnarok, which is a a, a Norse mythology term for the apocalypse. Uh, we're going to get some King Arthur. Uh, Arthurian sort of French Arthurian style names. Uh, already, we have some G- Celtic slash Gaelic, or at the very least Scottish, mm-hmm, yeah. Because uh, the 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 uh, uh, Britannians counter the the old style Glasgow as they refer to with a a new style Sutherland, which I believe is also a city in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm into both of these. Yeah. yeah. I'm. I gotta tell you. I don't know. If we visited this idea in a while, but I. I love grappling hooks. I love tethers. <clears throat> it's a big thing that I enjoy. And so to see this mech just bust out and tether these helicopters to death. Yes. Very good. Also, I think we, we already mentioned some. Uh, you know, some other mechs or at least robots that have had that sort of skating thing they do, or you know, they're really just sort of on wheels on the ground. One thing that the 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 standout action bit in this episode to me is one the mech skates up in the the narrow space mm-hmm. uh, vertically. Mm, very good. I was watching with my partner, and and when that sequence happened, she said she went whoa in a way where I was like, oh okay, this this show adequately express what is appealing about mechs it's it's when you see a mech do something like that and you go whoa like like tall geese with its verniers anything that it does with the verniers makes you go like okay mechs are good yeah mechs are cool or yeah. like this is that thing that Austin walker described in evangelion with uh when decisive battle is playing, Evangelion is good. It's yeah. it's that exact feeling. Mm-hmm. I thought the animation's pretty good in general. Like this isn't a big budget show, but even like the clamp designs, there's a sense of fluidity and motion. It's I'm not saying it's like a studio trigger show, but it 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 works in motion for me. There are shots where I wasn't crazy about the perspective, mm-hmm. but I think I generally agree with you. There's a bit in particular where uh, Luch is hiding from Colin, who is getting into the Glasgow. Oh yeah, and uh, it's this weird shot where um, her body like s- like squishes and elongates in order to show us uh, specifically like she is still tall and skinny, but also has fat in all the right places. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's you know it's not it's very mid two thousands. Clamp doesn't have as as like fan servicey as things could get this is certainly even like if of the time if i was going to reference other stuff like winry or uh what's her name from death note is way more yeah. egregious in this way than mm-hmm. anything we'll see in yeah case. yeah um but even still colin my 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 new fictional girlfriend uh gets into a uh, battle with the glasgow and something that i i enjoyed a lot in in any fiction is is highlighting how your rebel forces are just underpowered right? yeah like they just yeah. don't have the resources right they have the 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 wherewithal, and they're they're ready to do battle and fight a losing battle, mm. but the equipment's just going to fail them. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we see that the Sutherland gets the upper hand in battle by you know just in lieu of having the better equipment. Yep. We also get introduced. Do we want to talk about our our baddies here? Because we I did skip Clovis. over a little bit the Clovis, the the uh, what would you call him, the ruling prince of yeah, Section yeah. Eleven of D Block. 
I've um, seen so many Clovises in my day from playing RPGs and watching anime. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I was thinking that the, yeah. the, the, that he looks like. Um, That's why I didn't go Blue Lions. Like this, this Clovis motherfucker. Yeah, I didn't know who Clovis yeah. was. He totally looks like a Clovis. But like, what it reminded me of um, a PMC you recently played. Not that recently, but you recently played through um, Tales of Symphonia. Yeah, um, and he seems like a middle enemy from Tales of Symphonia who ran those camps. You right, know? exactly. That's what yeah. he reminded me of immediately. Mid-tier Tales General. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, Well, you know, not to insult, because I liked a lot of the baddie designs. Oh, yeah, I'm not, that's not a direct criticism. Because we'll see here, we'll, we'll get a beef boy who is mean, mean <laughs> beef boy. Yeah. Because we don't get names, right? We no. don't get names in this first episode. Yeah, I had to look them up. And we, and we have person of color with cool hair lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I'm sorry that she's bad, but maybe she's cool. I don't yeah, know. Who knows? Fascists yeah. are bad, though. So right, there are yeah. lots of cool-looking Xeon ladies, but you know, sometimes Char hits them in the face with a rocket launcher. <laughs> um, God, that's so rugged. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a that's a tough beat. <laughs> um, speaking of rugged, by the way, so we're we're going to get into uh, scenarios where we we get the implication that whatever was stolen from the Britannian Empire is something that Clovis is working on on the DL that if it got out would hurt him in a big bad way. So we see that he's incentivized to pretty drastic measures. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, uh, cleansing of uh, Shinjuku doesn't happen right now, but we're getting close to that. Yeah. yeah. So Lelouch has successfully hidden away in the truck. Um, this is some just cause stuff for sure. This oh is, yeah, definitely. There is a a um, definite like sort of uh, armored core feel to the way that the nightmares move, mm-hmm. um, and it might just be because the skating. I don't know if that's all, all there is to making me feel that way, but I really like the. Um, there's a lot of mech shows that figured out that the the physicality of movement. And and highlighting that can really be enough to make whatever it is you're creating feel yeah. unique. This is what like Eureka Seven, their mechs do this hoverboard thing where their setting has this particular kind of air. I Eureka Seven is a thing, yeah, and, and it yeah. allows them to to hoverboard basically, oh, cool. and that, and that's how those mechs move. And the uh, uh, the way that these nightmares skate around, and the the really really low tech something that that Gundam Wing unfortunately uh, began really trending on is like mechs who can take out hundreds of mechs in sweeping motions. You know, like the finger of death laser. Yes, the wing zero maneuver. Yeah. Um. Uh. And here we just have one busted ass mech versus a much nicer mech and the busted ass mech is able to fend off and escape right. while Lelouch in the truck eventually crashes yeah they go into like an underground area and they and the- yeah he falls down a hole yeah or something something yeah um one thing i want to touch on i was pretty impressed on a, like a basic level with the world building just how the show presents us information uh, i'm going to touch across two things uh we don't know too much about the stakes yet but we know that britannia's bad and there's one line that one of the guys in the copter says as they're pursuing them, stop the vehicle, surrender now, and you'll get the chance to defend yourself in court. And that just delivered so deliciously ironic that I appreciated it. And there's one other bit, too. Uh, one of the other guys in the copter says, target is moving from the settlement towards the ghetto. That just one line signifies how the city is divided. I thought it was really right. smartly done. It reminds me a bit of Half-Life 2, like when you, welcome to City 17, like the fact that they're called 11s and it's Area 11. It's very basic world building. It doesn't feel, but it makes it feel more lived in, I thought. Mm-hmm. And right. Like, had logical and had, everything has bounds. They're, they're, they, they did a good job of using specific vocabulary in order to uh, paint the uh, 
actual fences around the dystopic setting. Yeah, right? but they don't. Have, they weren't too heavy handed about it. Like we're revealed through this high speed chase that there's a ghetto. Uh, yes. In, I'm saying less heavy-handed than if someone said, here is a map of Tokyo. In the writing at this point, I agree that they're not too heavy-handed. I I would argue that they move into mm. the realm of heavy-handed in maybe like five minutes. But but we'll, we'll, when we get to the clenching of Shinjuku, we'll... Oh, we'll let, yeah. it be, let it oh, be known. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying Code Geass is anyway subtle. At the end, I'm going to say the completely opposite. I, just I, these little bits I was impressed I, with. I just think... That I want to highlight the conversation that we had in Pat Labor 3 about how use of violence can change the DNA of what you're doing and that it, it can be a good idea to not hold back on the violence. I don't necessarily think you need to do anything to change the plot of this episode. I do think that this is a show that is trying to, in any case, um, we we see here uh, uh, Lelouch be confronted by Grunt from Umbrella. Uh, who is here to uh, uh, obtain uh, the samples of the G-Virus from, from Birkin. Uh, and uh, uh, in this process of the battle, we see that uh, this character, who is eventually revealed to be Suzaku, is, is a strong fighter. He does some cool anime kicks that Lelouch is able to sort of... Like, we don't see him fight him off, but it's it's something that he's, like, sustains, right? Yeah, he isn't blindsided by it. Right. And in the process, they're reunited. It is a pretty... We're, I'm going to talk about this a lot. Tender moment. Uh, this is a, a pretty uh, uh, sincere... Uh, Suzaku is definitely happy to see Lelouch. It's a little bit less clear, I would say, from Lelouch's perspective, how, what his feelings are in that moment. Although he will emphasize what he's feeling later in, yes. when certain things occur. Yeah. Um, and in the process of their reuniting, the, the revelation of the girl in the box happens, the green-haired girl in the box um, we saw her in the intro. We also saw her butt in the intro. Um, this is that time. This is where we are. This is the life we're living in anime. Yeah. Butts um, yeah. It's butt o'clock. Uh, and at this point, Suzaku is revealed. Oh, you know what? I don't want to barrel past this. Another good way they use for uh, world building is uh, in, in the, we, we learn about other terrorist attacks that have been successful. Oh, yeah, the soccer mm-hmm. bombings. Yes, yeah. and uh, they they are specific in the language of highlighting that eight Britannians and 52 others have died. And later, when Clovis is, is addressing the nation, he asks for a moment of silence for the eight Britannians, and that's it. Which is, you know, I, again, I uh, will credit to the, the world building. How, coming off of, you know, I'm not going to throw shade, but, but coming off of Genlock... This is the sort of stuff that Genlock desperately needed. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a good. Uh, that's a good point. Like this is the sort of stuff. Like in one episode, we get twice as much about our antagonistic uh, forces than we ever got out of Genlock. Um, not to throw shade, Genlock was still a pretty good show. Uh, uh, but the the after the revelation of the girl in the box and that it's not poison that was stolen from. Well, I mean, we don't know that she could be poison gas. Yeah, poison. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the these are. Okay, these are Milsha forces, right? These are not Britannian soldiers. Well, these I, are eleven Milshas. Yeah, it's because he he says that you're 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 honorary Britannians, and you're you're trying you know you're, you're serving for the right to because they don't yeah. even have guns, right? right? It's, they're they're sort of sent in just as like sentries without arms, right? But the guys who uh, but the guys who capture Suzaku and and uh, uh, Lelouch are they? Britannian soldiers, or are they 11 Milsha? So, 
the guys in the max they're royal guard members but i do think like suzaku falls under the jurisdictions and the hierarchy of the central command right because he's an 11 he's a japanese person who has joined a a milsha that serves the britannian empire yeah. I assume the rest of his forces are similar to that. Yes. Maybe not the commanding officer guy. Right. I don't think the commanding officer... I think the commanding officer is an actual... Yeah. When I was reading the script, they referred to him as Royal Guard Commander. I'm not sure if that's accurate. Okay. So then then he is Britannian, probably. And that makes sense because he refers to Lelouch as a Britannian as well. Mm -hmm. A fellow Britannian. Yeah. Um, So uh, he tells Suzaku, he's like, hey, you little fucker. You, you got to shoot your friend now. And Suzaku's like, nah, man, I'm a protagonist of a shonen show. I'm, I can't shoot my friend. Friendship's the best. And so they shoot Suzaku. And now Suzaku's dead. Definitely dead. Never Definitely coming back dead. To the not show. coming back. Not a major figure in the show. Yeah, exactly. And in any case, um, uh, Lelouch is able to escape thanks to the, the, the last act of the rebel who was driving the truck, who blows the fucking shit out of the truck. And we don't see how Lelouch and... Uh, uh, Pizza Hut Girl get away. I know we don't know that she's Pizza Hut Girl Wait, yet. she's but, Pizza Hut Girl? Oh, oh, this character loves pizza. This character loves pizza like Gigar loves pasta, okay? Can I have a quick Pizza Hut sidebar real quick? Sure. Yeah, okay. go ahead. I love old school Pizza Huts with the red roofs. There used to, Ingus, there was one by your house, yes. your apartment. Yes, And... The fact that I could go down, sit down at a pizza place, not have pizza, get and a, have pasta alfredo. A scoop up? I, I very much like that. <laughs> I, have, I have a very distinct memory of pizza. my mom picking me up from school in elementary school. Yeah. This is when Lost World came out on VHS. Fuck I was yeah. heavily into Jurassic Park. I'm heavily into Jurassic Park in 2019. I watched, I got some pizza, watched Lost World. That's all I had to say. Lost World I just miss the fact, I just miss change and the ravages of capitalism that, and I just want. A market economy that gives me pizza huts, even if no one wants to go there. You see what I mean? Y'all, did y'all guys ever do the uh, the the book report for a personal pan pizza thing? Was that a thing in other schools? I remember it. I didn't do it, but okay. I remember that. It is I thing. definitely did that a few times. I I would have if it was offered. Okay. But, uh, my my elementary to middle school experience was varied. I, I was moving from place to place mm-hmm. and, and uh, engaged in a couple of different kinds of elementary schools. And North Carolina was in a magnet school okay. and offered that program. But yeah. when I moved here, the, the schools, the public schools I went to, didn't offer any sort of program like that. But you know, okay. Uh, but Pizza Hut. Is a we'll talk about this more. You didn't talk about it in your history, but it was there was a a sponsorship deal that was not not as heavy as you would suspect if you had watched the show before. I believe the Netflix version we'll be watching won't have the Pizza Hut stuff in oh, it. I don't okay. believe so. Pizza, they're like Gorbachev in the nineties, and now did you see that? Commercial? I didn't watch it. Oh, all right, <laughs> I was too afraid. <laughs> it's just twenty nineteen. I can't do that shit to myself all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I think, like, let me let me be clear. Pizza will will still be an important thing yeah. to one character. I don't think they would edit that stuff out. I just think the appearance of the Pizza Hut logos and stuff will was probably it no in longer. Japan or the U.S. or both? It was both. It was both. Japan mostly, I think. Um, but uh, I think it was a not a huge sponsorship deal at all. And I think some animator was just like, "Oh, so Pizza Hut in every episode? Okay, <laughs> all right." Um, at least as I understand it, there's there's some. This is slightly mimetic about Code Geass. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, so at this point, Suzaku and, and oh no, I'm sorry, Suzaku's dead now, totally dead. Uh, uh, Lelouch is is escaping with the girl in the box, right? Um, and, and this is when the massacre begins. Right? Um, so the Shinjuku cleansing starts to begin because uh, the uh, Clovis Prince Prince Symphonia Tales villain is is pissed that the Royal Guard couldn't capture the girl in the box, and so he's like, okay, well I'll just kill everyone in that area and eventually get my girl back. 
Um, and so we start seeing what the, the cleansing of Shinjuku looks like. Uh, in particular, there's a scene where we, we have old people who are like, why is this happening? <laughs> and, and I don't mean to laugh at the suffering of old people. The, the dub was pretty funny, just this line. Oh, yeah, I didn't... Uh, you're, you're pretty close. I didn't know... To know, I wasn't watching the dub. But I was sitting here you, should, like, you know why you should have, though? Crispin Freeman, Crispin Freeman plays Jeremiah Gottwald, the blue-haired... Uh, oh, nightmare. that was crispy? Oh, man. Yeah. That's, he's good at that villain. He, like that, he really enjoys the destruction. I haven't had this much fun in the front line in ages. <laughs> Yeah, he's okay. So something that's great about Crispin Freeman is that you you have some people who really aren't able to find the like the truth of the character without like direction. <laughs> and Crispin Freeman is a, is the sort of guy who one he's typecast a lot into that sort of role, like that sort of like albedo-y, Alucard, uh, Itachi sort of like antihero sort of role. Um, and two, he just really leans into a big, like anime voice acting. It, it comes from a, a really big style of performance. Like it really is broad, right? And and crispy is so good at that. Um, but yeah, I'll probably. Uh, I love John Young Bosch. I love Crispin Freeman. There's a lot of good people in this show, so it's not. It's just something that I I, I don't typically do. But um, uh, there's a line here I want to highlight. Uh, where uh, Lelouch is kind of doing a, a thing that, that characters in shows like this will do, which is like he's tallying the crimes that, that, that Britannia has committed. And the, the thing that, that the last thing he mentions, and therefore the most significant one, he says to himself, they even killed Suzaku. This is the, the thing that matters to this character most. He highlights the thing that affects him the most. This, this character is, is someone that really uh, is, is the thing they want you to remember mattered to Lelouch. And uh, so he comes out the other side of this tunnel. Uh, somehow the bad guys got there first. I don't know. It's fine. The, 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 I mean, if Lelouch and, and Pizza Hut are fine with the explosion, then I guess these, these guys would be too. Uh, and Leech would have successfully have hidden away, except that one of his schoolmates was trying to call yeah, him. Yeah, because he see. left his ringer on. Yeah, because he's a dummy. They yeah. actually had, there was an internal debate in the production company about whether or not they should give the character cell phones. Remember, this is cell phones have been around Japan for a while, but they haven't been a lot of anime, at least in the early aughts. And there was a legitimate discussion, and they eventually said, "Well, their audience has cell phones, and we could use it to our advantage, maybe in the story." Well, cell phones have a it really. As, as they are writing obstacle, right? Yeah. Because you're, you're a so, lot of writing has to do with a an inability to communicate clearly, yeah. right? But that's it's also a potential like plot hole if you're concerned with that. Potentially sure. depends yeah. on what you're it's making. Like, why didn't you call them the telephone? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why didn't the eagles take the ring to the right to the oh, mountain? My fucking god! Oh my god! That's a whole different podcast. Subscribe. To How us. are there explosions in space? There's yeah. no oxygen. Uh, just subscribe to us on Patreon for the Ignis Maddox <laughs> yells at dummies movie podcast. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, at, at this point, they are cornered by the bad guys, uh, threatened with death. He's, he's going to shoot Lelouch, who's, he's like, you're a rebel guy. We, we, we're going to cut to this pile of bodies. You know, uh, uh, we're, we're such the bad guys. We're so bad, by the way. Uh, and, um, in the process, uh, Pizza Hut, uh, dies in front of Lelouch in order to prevent him from being shot. And she gets shot in the head. Uh, uh, and uh, in those moments, while, while she's presumably dying, I don't actually know. Maybe Pizza Hut is invincible to all damage, uh, except for uh, bacterial well, damage. Pizza Hut can heal bullet wounds, right? Is I that... think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the we we get a a a sequence where uh, Pizza Hut reaches out to Lelouch in order to to create some kind of deal. PMC, right. do you want to talk about this? 
Yeah. So this was really this was interesting for for me because I I actually sort of had trouble understanding it. Now I mentioned I've mentioned other uh, episodes or podcasts that I have a bit of a legal background, and so of course the moment I see contract, I have to say, well, what are the what are the terms of the contract? What are the things that we are exchanging for each other? Because our our green haired anime Pizza Hut says that uh, she she's going to give. Luluch power. That's right. He'll live unlike anyone else. Mm-hmm. But you have to do that. You have to make my one wish come true. And I don't think she explicitly states what that one wish is. And then instead, it seems like by the end, the contract is I give you power, but this is, you know, a monkey paw where you're going to live in isolation. And that kind of becomes the terms of the bargain, it seems like. I, I, so. Maybe you guys can can you know confirm that that she doesn't really say what her one true wish. No. Is. no. So the thing that I would say is that uh, the impression I got is that the the images that we are shown will uh, eventually have some sort of context that will it, it, even if we don't think it probably it won't match up one to one, but we will understand the implications of these images insofar as I assumed her wish was the destruction of Britannia. Yeah, right? I mean, probably. I mean, certainly there are other, you know, vague signifiers going on that this uh, uh, green-haired anime thinks that Lelouch is the one she was looking for. That's yes. mentioned several times. Yes. We get the brief scene of the Ragnarok connection. Yeah, so some sort of mildly prophetic thing going on. So obviously, you know, we're just getting vague whisperings of of future events which is like one thing i I guess for me really the thing that i wanted to say in the episode in and of the moment was lush you just signed a contract but you don't know what you've committed yes no (laughs) he's dummy yeah and any lawyer watching this is shaking their head and they're just like no no no. you didn't you didn't read look you can't this isn't like a a website eula right you can't just say yeah i agree to the end user license agreement for these powers this is not how it works um but uh, in any case, uh, Lelouch is able to stand, and uh, he reveals his new special brand, uh, his his special eye, yeah. and uh, gives the, the his enemies a command to uh, to shoot themselves. And what they do, and by saying "Yes, my lord" in English, or "Yes, my liege," yeah. I don't remember. Um, oh, but you guys watched it in the dub anyway, right? Yeah, it's it's classic, so it was Stephen J. Bloom. Um, so something to note. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Something to note is that in the sub, um, when the, the Britannian forces are receiving the orders, they, they respond in English. They'll say, yes, okay. my lord, or yes, yeah. my liege, right, instead right. of in Japanese, which, you know, makes sense if yeah. they're a, a North and South American, you know, nation or what have you. Um, do you is this a world where um, the uh, British Empire won the Revolutionary War, and so the, um, America, it, it, like, maintained the, like... A, like pomp of the of British aristocracy is that I have why? To assume, yeah, yeah. Is I'm that sure? There's an art book out there that could fill you in. Yeah, for real. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, Lelouch successfully uh, dispatches the his the forces with this new power, and it definitely, uh, uh, in my opinion, and I mentioned this in in the the summary, it definitely affected him. Yes, I don't think he. I think he was put off by it in a way that he wasn't suspecting. Um, I think he recovers quickly. Clearly, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, we, we see, right? He says he he is struck by the cost, but he quickly accepts the cost. Right? Yes. Um, and, and this is probably a a beat we can see trending towards what Pizza Hut was telling him about that that this power will isolate him as a human. He will live unlike other people, but he can't 
be like other people. He couldn't just live a, a teenage high school mm-hmm. life anymore. As if before Lelouch was like a social butterfly before. I read him as pretty, um, uh, a well, loner before. He him. has a club. They call him Lulu. So he must make some impression <laughs> upon people. The impression I got was that he is the same sort of archetype that like Yagami is, where mm-hmm. he is this like this prodigy who who is lives in contempt of his peers in this way. Like he is, you can almost describe him as as a. A, a young man who's a little bit more mature than the people around him, and so he isn't engaged by the same things that they mm-hmm. are. Uh, but now we see it trending towards a like weaponized sociopathic sort of uh, uh, situation. Um, but that brings us to the end of Code Geass episode one. Uh, what did you guys think about this first episode? I liked it. I said this before. I had a feeling it would be gun and wing. If not done right, then certainly done better. Mm-hmm. I stand by that. Yeah. Currently from episode one. I think that's fair. I like liberation stories. Considering some political context, it makes me a little uneasy. Not to say you certainly can't write a liberation story. I think it's going to consistently sacrifice that liberation story for style, yeah. which I am concerned about. Mm-hmm. But I just enjoyed it. Like sometimes like works of romantic literature and by if for my listeners out there when i'm talking about romantic literature i'm not saying necessarily necessarily saying romance you know love between two people i'm saying you know romantic literature like 1800 1850 this is when literature was in its infancy basically what i'm saying though is the symbolism in these books was always very much present uh everything was exaggerated very melodramatic characters wear their emotions on their sleeves it's then count of monte cristo for example perfect it's very excessive actually you could do a very close reading between a lot of work draw a lot of similarities to that it's a lot of style not necessarily the substance i'm looking for and that's certainly not a problem i don't need every show to have be very substantive there is substance but what substance it is and what a like, clear political through line there is i think the show won't really care i i've heard i remember reading some reaction threads or just hearing f- friends who were fans of the show that season two goes some places I think for me, this is kind of hitting the the three prongs that I would want from you know a show like this. I we got clear indications that they are going to characterize this character. That this character seems ready to go on a journey, uh, and that journey will be you know affected by by plot events and some prophecy. But also, he's going to have a real personal involvement. That he is going to respond to things uh, that happen on the screen in a way that that you know at at least semi human. Uh, and then we got you know world building as we already mentioned before you know we we had watched uh, season one of Genlock which really didn't give us all the world building we want but I think here we are we are give, given an idea of what the situation is um, and that you know of course relates to uh, you know some socio political stuff but uh, but also it's just you know it, it's enough to make it work we have a foundation I think it's what you want from an episode one of a series yeah right? going back to Gun and Wing too we talked about like the very uh, short production process and like brainstorming session for mm-hmm. Gun and Wing in general which really shows because in Gun and Wing there's a constant like I don't know exposition, exposition one-upmanship where we constantly reveal these new concepts that sometimes right. I don't yeah. always need everything to have a very clear you know things are inherently literature works of art are inherently yeah. messy sometimes not every equation has to come out perfect but Sometimes it's right. nice to have a foundation. Yeah. Comparing this to Gundam Wing, the, the Alliance versus Colonies dynamic we're introduced to in Gundam Wing doesn't really pan out meaningfully. Whereas I, I'm going to go ahead and probably assume that the Britannia versus other people thing works out more <laughs> generally. I am worried later in the show it's just going to be like, what crazy shit can Lelouch do and will sacrifice everything so Lelouch yeah. can just show off? Mm. So... Um, to build off of that, uh, I agree that this first episode is really strong. It, it, it really accomplishes what I think it needs to accomplish, and I am intrigued by 
the further character drama. Um, I'm a little alarmed. Uh, I wish they did a little bit more work in this first part, and hopefully we'll see it more uh, to characterize the bad guys. I mm-hmm. think the bad guys are painted with to uh, like uh, the broadest yeah it's it's they're it's they're they're not really like characters as much as they're like even like i i re- this is something i i feel like uh, you know i i just am gonna pay attention to right like this is a, another aspect of this that i'm I, that concerns me is is the way that violence is depicted in this time i'm i'm concerned about um so something that we've been experiencing a lot in our pop fiction recently is a uh, a, a lot of shows with big promise blowing up in people's faces, and and it's because of an over dependency on what I call page turner mm-hmm. tactics, yeah. yeah, which is where you, um, uh, uh, very famously, um, Star Trek TNG ended uh, season three with uh, the best of both worlds part one, um, and famously ended with a cliffhanger where Commander Riker orders that they fire upon a ship that that Captain Picard has been captured on, um, and they cut to commercial break. And famously, they had no idea how they were going to resolve this. And if you watch Press of Both Worlds Part 2, you, you can see not as good an episode. Yeah. It, it yeah. just sort of resolves. It sort of... Yeah. Um, and but who shot Mr. Burns, example, too? Right. Um, and, and so this page-turner tactics leads to situations where you, you will see some pretty um, sensational stuff that doesn't end up having a point. Um, I don't want to... You know, um, certain television fantasy fans are experiencing uh, something to this degree, and, and I'm, I'm concerned about Code Geass in this result, regard. But maybe my my concerns are aren't well founded. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll be if if they engage in that sort of sensationalism, it will be for a point. Like I think in this episode, as much as I didn't like the the use of violence against the old people, uh, I think it was effective in c- communicating the. Uh, state of the setting, right? Uh, I, my concern would be will be if they use this as a uh, quick way to establish empathy in the audience uh, for a character, or or to uh, uh, abuse a, a audiences of relationship with that character. Mm, yeah, yeah, this is something that I think a lot of fiction is really overindulging in, and especially at that time. That's mm-hmm. the sort of reason why I avoided it in the first place. But you know what? Like the design of the show. I'm interested in the character drama between uh, uh, poor rested piece Suzaku, who's definitely dead, and and <laughs> Luch. Um, I'm interested to learn more about the lady characters. We we saw a character named Nunnally in a wheelchair reference. That I'm I'm interested to learn more yes. about. Orange chair seems fun. I, I really want to interact with her more. Um, I am a fan of high school shenanigans, so I'm ready to get into that. I'm hoping, as opposed to Gun and Wing, which didn't lean in that direction. If used more as a plot device, we get some high school shenanigans. Yeah, so I'm I'm tentatively tentatively excited. I'm I agree that that it, I I feel like we're going to be standing on more solid ground. Gundam Wing is like uh, every time you take a step, there is a different weird trap <laughs> that that flies out of the wall towards you for each episode, and how much you're going to enjoy yourself depends on how much getting hit by a a, a log in the face by <laughs> set up by Ewoks, you know, entertains you sometimes. <laughs> You know, sometimes Waran and P-Sun have a, a, a mental breakdown on a space jet, you know, and, and that plot continues for nine more episodes than you re- originally remembered. Uh, I, I don't expect that happening here, but I'm, I'm, there are other signs of the era that I'm concerned about. You sure. So, yeah, I think uh, that, that leads us at the, to the end of episode one for Code Geass. Next time, I believe we're going to meet up for the next two episodes, episodes two and three. If we yeah. stick to our schedule, I think it'll be 222 until the last we'll yeah, two, wrap two, up two season one. Yeah, 222 for, uh, for the foreseeable uh, future. 
Uh, you know, I should also mention, I think now as we're, we're getting up into our wrap up for episode one, kind of discussed our, our feelings on, on episode one. Uh, you know, we have done other shows too. If you've enjoyed this, uh, Code Geass show, uh, feel free to slap us with some, uh, five stars or whatever the appropriate metric is for your favorite podcast service. We've also done, uh, you can see in our, our back catalog, we've done the first season of Gundam Wing, the first season of Genlock. Uh, we recently finished up the early days OVA for Pat Labor as well as the Pat Labor 1, 2, and 3 movies. Yeah. So uh, if you like what we did here, definitely check those out. It's very much in the same vein. Uh, and I believe next week uh, will just be Code Geass uh, 2 and 3 for the foreseeable future. Yep. Any last imparting notes? Uh, and of course, you can also get our Twitter info at Mechanations Pod. That's always a good place to find memes and also uh, you know up to date information on what we're doing from week to week. And on that note, uh, I was one of your hosts, Ignis Maddox, Stephen Hero, PMC Trilogy. Catch you next time when we deploy our grappling hooks from our weird uh, Scotland mechs. <laughs> <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> <laughs> it's like when you open one of the doors in PT. You can't get it all the way open. <laughs> 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 <laughs>